Welcome back, Red Spotters, to, of course, the show that you're here to watch and listen to, Red Spotlight Entertainment. I'm your host, Alexis Soto, and I'm joined today by David Francisco. Um, and this week, as you might be able to already tell if you're watching us, uh, there might already be a theme. There's a lot of red going on with this red spotlight. Um, uh, the movie Turning Red has finally, even though technically speaking, this upcoming March, it would, it will turn two years old already. That being said, I know. That being said, it took a whole two years to finally have a debut in theaters because as we were talking about just a few weeks ago, Disney uh, is bringing back, well, actually bringing to the first time films that were made for the theatrical um, vertical, but ended up going to streaming for Various extenuating circumstances of which we have really exhausted <laughs> how uh, on through the last couple of years on this show. So obviously we have uh, a review to a two-year-old film. We had a lot to say about the film. I'm sure we have a lot more to say now. Uh, David and I just saw it today. I was also joined by Peter, mm. um, and we had a great time watching it. We're gonna get into that obviously. Um, but it actually ha- also happens to really... Oh, no. Oh, my background just died. <laughs> it happens to go <laughs> um, hand-in-hand with uh, a lot of Disney news that broke this week. Um, for mostly the worse. Uh, and we're going to get into that, of course. Uh, Bob Iger, uh, absolutely, in my view, shitting the bed. Um, <laughs> There's only one good news these- out of it, though. <laughs> uh, I oh yes yes uh, we're we're gonna get to that at the top but there's a, there's a lot of things that that really has gone on in the week um, maybe maybe not related to movies but that's kind of what we're here obviously the show that brings you everything coming out of the world of movies and more um, and that's gonna be our show today on Red Spotlight number four hundred and seventy four um, so much happening in the world um, it's really really hard to kind of keep up with it all at once I know um, you may not be aware of this David but last week uh, I actually had Peter on the show uh, and we talked about a couple of things uh, uh, we actually had the chance to finally talk about some four films in particular that we haven't had the chance to review on the show so if you haven't listened to that yet listeners and watchers uh, we've got reviews on Poor Things, The Color Purple 2023, The Iron Claw, and No One Will Save You. Uh, spoiler alert, all four of those films I thoroughly enjoyed and I thought were definitely worth a watch, as did Peter's. So um, that's definitely something you don't want to miss. And in addition to, we also had a really long conversation in terms of, uh, you know, the state. It kind of... It, it, in, in a way, it kind of build off of what you and I and Alexis discussed in regards to um, the current state of the live action remakes and the culture surrounding it. So we did talk a little bit about Avatar The Last Airbender, and we did talk about um, where things are <laughs> where things are with Daredevil. Um, if, if this isn't if it's not going to work, I'm just going to give up <laughs> and go to something else because I don't know, understand what's got, what's happening there. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> it's, it's just there. It is. It's great. Um, so this is just getting even worse. Okay. 
it's not not gonna happen. So here's the thing: we talked about Avatar. We also talked about Daredevil. And if you have not been watching the news, um, or and I haven't really been paying too much attention to Daredevil, I'm gonna be honest with you. But some really bad shit has happened with Daredevil um, that we kind of need to get into um, in regards to the fact that uh, one of the things that was spilled was that um, they may still use those episodes that supposedly were going to get trashed. Mm-hmm. And I'm... they may incorporate it into it. I, I, have you seen those rumors? Um, Cause I I wasn't aware of the rumors at all. I did not know about those rumors, but I I get why. Cause like you made it, you you can't just throw it away. Do you really have time to just start anew? You know, like you, I just don't see how you much have a choice but to use them. You know, especially if, like with your money involved and all that. So I. On on paper, that makes a lot of sense, you know? Mm-hmm. From a business standpoint, from an executive standpoint, yes, that makes sense. But I guess if you only have the standpoint of a businessman or an executor, of an executive in the entertainment industry, therein lies the problem, right? If you only have that mentality, that kind of is a large... A component as to why you're failing hmm. because on as I said on paper not a terrible decision it, it, it kind of makes sense you know but when you add in the context of everything with you know this company the studio and its practices and the recent quality of their output when you put that into perspective then uh 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 wait a minute mm-hmm. now we understand of course that uh Iger is being far more strict. And again, on paper, him being more uh, strict with Marvel isn't a bad thing. It's actually a good thing because if you think about the... Let me just look at the amount of money that Kevin Feige has wasted on just like starting things, realizing that they were crap and doing it all over again. Yeah, that's really bad, mm-hmm. right? Um, But here's the problem, though. Right now, nobody knows. Even the people on the team don't know how many episodes they're shooting. They're already shooting. They don't know how many episodes they're shooting. At the same time, they're going to reincorporate the the ones that they were already made into. But that but those episodes were intended for a whole. Sh- I thought the impression was made that they stopped it because it was bad. Mm-hmm. They were bad episodes. And now you're going to tell me that you're going to be able to retool a lot of that footage to the point where it can work in this whole new story and whole new vision with all these brand new. And and I guess in a way it might be able to to work because one of the, the, I guess, the beans that Peter spilled last week particularly um, is, and I think you may have uh, seen that yourself in the chat, right? Uh, that Peter mentioned that uh, they're still probably going to kill off um, Karen and Foggy. Mm-hmm. Which, again, it's like, oh, this is so much worse because not only, I mean, it was bad enough that you were just ignoring the existence of that flat out, right? But now you're openly inviting a lot of the cast members to come back. But now that you have brought them back, the danger always was, and it seems like that's what's going to happen is you're going to fuck it up even worse for yourself. Mm-hmm. And the thing I keep saying is like the comparison to the original show 
It's just a few clicks away on Disney+. Plus. If that, it probably will recommend you the original series, or I guess the canon series, when the credits finish on the Daredevil episodes. Um, my overall thing was, um, is why should anybody care at this point? What's going to happen uh, when we kind of have already seen time and time again the result of it? I guess mm-hmm. you could say, well, to an extent, they recognize that it was bad and they and they know that they have to do better. And again, on paper, sure, that sounds nice. But when you add in the context and the history of who these people are, and in particular, who's in charge and what he particularly feels are good ideas, you're reminded all at once, this thing doesn't have a chance. Mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to Disney, not just Marvel, but like Disney in general, when they try to course correct stuff, it just goes badly for them. <laughs> There's one time I will say, you know what? God, I'm I'm immediately reminded of two examples that I don't I, I think were actually the exception. But actually, in your mind, when you made that statement, David, what projects in particular come to mind where they mess up halfway through that they've realized and they have to basically reshoot most of it all over again and it ends up being even worse. I mean, I know for one, the recent examples of the Marvels comes to mind, mm-hmm. right? Um, even though, again, I got to say, I, that particular project, I don't have any kind of animosity towards. Mm-hmm. Like, that wasn't a, at all an experience that you or I felt like we were you know, enraged or that our time was wasted. A lot of other people feel like it was, but not for us. And now that I, I mentioned that, I don't know if Alexis is ever interested in watching it, but that could be a nice idea for a reaction. Uh, since it just hit Disney Plus, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's something that we can talk about off air. Um, but Secret Invasion, on the other hand, well, not on the other hand, but in a similar case, that was chopped up, redone, rewritten mm-hmm. all over again. It came out. It was terrible. Yeah. I didn't watch it. You did. And you say it was terrible. Yeah. Um, but that's just two things. I mean, you could say. Well, I mean, I just uh, oh. Han Solo, the Han Solo movie uh, at Star Wars, mm-hmm. right? That was a big situation that happened there. Well, I mean, Lucasfilm in general, because like when Last Jedi came out, that's this is what I mean by course correcting. Like when Last Jedi came out, fans were split, and they were like, "Oh shoot, we gotta like fix this. Like, what the heck? Like, what do we do? What do we do?" And then they listened to. The loudest people and what was the loudest thing people were saying it's star wars this isn't star wars this isn't star wars and then what did they do with um fucking solo it, they weren't even the cats were like that ah, doesn't feel like star wars and all that and it's like and then they try to reshoot everything and you can and stop tell. right there stop right there who did they fire Yes. They fired the, the the two people who are single-handedly responsible for keeping Sony alive mm-hmm. these last 10 years. They brought you hits like, uh, I mean, they basically built Sony animation from the ground up uh, with the Claudia with, with the Chance of Meatballs movies. But even more than that, they're responsible for the 21 Jump Street uh, films, two successful comedies. That were, I mean... Going, I know this is the 10th anniversary this year of 22 Jump Street, but remember those films are such big, colossal box office hits. And again, there were comedies, uh, which you don't see that happening too much anymore in 2023. I mean, now though, we're in 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're also responsible for the Lego movie. Um, still uh, one of the most surprising and probably one of the best animated films maybe ever, mm-hmm. I mean, literally. 
Um, and then it should go without say they're Academy Award winners now because of the of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the even more successful sequel, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which grossed over six hundred million dollars worldwide. Um, these were the people who Kathleen Kennedy fired. Yeah. And it's funny because the and you always gotta think that actually, because if it wasn't for that, would we even have Spider-Verse? <laughs> True. And it's just, and it's always funny though, too, because like when you watch that movie, you can tell the parts where it was just all, what are their names again? Sorry. The Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Yeah. Lord and Miller. Like you can tell which ones were theirs and which one was the other director who reshot stuff. Cause it's like, right. It's almost night and day, the differences. And it's, I really want to rewatch it just for that, just to see the differences. Cause I remember most of the action scenes, I was like, whoa, these are actually like really, really cool. Like, what the fuck? And then it just cuts to a different scene that you kind of like, this is a reshoot. <laughs> this is for sure. I actually added. don't remember myself if we've ever done a commentary. I know you wouldn't have been a part of it. If if we did, I think it was probably with Kyle and with Peter. But this was many years ago, mm-hmm. obviously. And this is regarding a film that, quite frankly, I have a hard time forgetting. I mean, I have a hard time remembering that it even exists. Yeah. Because so much of it, I can't... It doesn't come to mind. I, like Actual lines, actual sequences, actual images do not come to mind mm-hmm. and the ones that, that that do are i got to tell you one of the most embarrassing moments for me <laughs> in a movie theater was watching that um because um they took a moment that on paper again this is the difference between putting things on paper and execution on paper I really should have been one of those people who was jumping up and down over a cameo of Maul, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the execution and the fact that it absolutely made no sense and how it just screamed and reeked of desperation and how unbelievably incompetent of a choice it was to even put that in that film on top of everything else that didn't really work about it. Um, so that was an example, clearly. Um, most people would tell you, and I think I'm inclined to agree, the one thing that gives me pause about the project I'm about to bring up is that I don't feel as strongly as most people do. Um, and I kind of feel that the vapid, no, that's fair. The vapidness at the center of the film and the lack of, um... I would say, I think the characterization in that film is decent, but it doesn't necessarily hold up. I think a lot of us really, really liked it when it came out. But as the years have gone on, and I mean in our group particularly, it really hasn't aged very well. And again, it's kind of faded into something that I don't think about, and that is Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Um, That thing came out, and it kind of blew... uh, Everything that we were expecting out of the water, like it was an unbelievable theatrical experience. And then for whatever reason, within just maybe even a year or two, it just kind of, I think what it failed was the rewatchability mm-hmm. thing. And I think when we kept watching it, we kept noticing there was a real, pre- uh, there was an apparent barrier between us and the characters 
And a lot of it really, really, really came across as sloppy and haphazard and not that well thought out of. And I think ultimately, the only reason why it even works is because that last act really kind of put it together. If that didn't, in that last battle sequence particularly, I would even say kept it together. If that wasn't there, I don't think the film would be as beloved as it is right now. And to me, as a side tangent, the idea that this film is the one that everybody, quote unquote, Disney Star Wars, the only thing that came out of that, that people love, I think once again, just speaks to the shallowness, the vapidness of most Star Wars fans. Because I think to me, look, um, you and I are on the same page, generally speaking about like, objectivity whatever that means but more i guess subjectivity is the better word whereas like everybody has different tastes they have different likes and dislikes and everyone is more than free to think and feel however it is that they do um and you and i are the biggest supporters of that thought you know even though we come on here and we trash a lot of things um happily so we will remind everyone who is listening and watching i'm gonna keep saying it watching um that they are free to think however they feel and they don't have to agree with us we're just offering what we think right Uh um ironically enough i didn't realize i was wearing a star wars shirt but i guess nice (laughs) um but um i haven't worn one in a while um because i haven't felt the love of this franchise for a long time. The mm-hmm. only thing that kind of reminds me why I even love this has been the Bad Batch seasons. <laughs> Interestingly enough, that's the only thing that's kind of given me like any kind of life continuing on. But back to that, um, I think to me, you know, Donald Trump may scream to high heavens that the election was stolen from him in 2020. But I think the real uh, election that was stolen not really not an election but the real th- theft here was that the last jedi is not known now and not accepted as the best star wars film in the recent modern era now in certain circles like ours it is no doubt mm-hmm. um i think cinemaphiles cinephiles and 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 I think star wars fans that actually know what the fuck star wars is recognize that the problem is the star wars fan base has always been unbelievably fractured uh with you know them liking different generations or eras that were very different visions and they don't come together ultimately on top of the fact that um evidently they were very easily susceptible to right-wing talking points um when you put that all together uh the last jedi (laughs) literally i've never seen a movie break a group of people <laughs> more than the last jedi you have to you, the last jedi broke geek culture in a lot of ways like it fractured it even more so than any of us could have possibly have anticipated and i think to me that really is a damning indictment on our culture and our civilization right that that something so intellectually um brilliant really i'm being serious here as that was by a huge swath of the population, just rejected um, and then used as uh, an, uh, to catapult their own platforms of hate 
um, it, it, forever in the future of entertainment industry. It's insane to me um, that that's where we are. And like to me, that's the one thing I want, I want to communicate this. What I'm trying to communicate to you is that, like, look, that's the one thing that irks me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like when people say things um, that clearly are just untrue about the film, you know? And I'm not generally that kind of person, right? Um, where it's like, you have to feel how I feel. You have to agree with what I say. But that thing, that particular film, we are all so passionate about, like all of the talking points against it. And you, I feel, for, to an extent, are in the same boat as Peter and I and Kyle and all of us. Is like literally all of the negative things, like 99% of the negative things that people say about that film, I personally think are just blatantly untrue. Mm-hmm. And are not are not really based on any kind of reality that's in the text of the film, which again reinforces my feelings and a lot of our feelings that people have just completely lost the ability to read movies and and just read what's in the text and the subtext. It just it, it just it, it's gone. It's it's I, I don't know what moment in culture to attribute that to, but that was very apparent. So Rogue One going back very much was an example of uh something people would tell you it worked out well doing the reshoots. Um I would say that it probably would have been a far better film if Tony Gilroy had been put uh, as director and writer from day one, mm-hmm. um, and we could, and we really saw what Tony Gilroy was capable of when we when we saw his Andor. Yeah, oh that God. was that yes. that, and you just imagine the Rogue One film we would have received if Tony Gilroy had been able to have the reins from the very beginning, um, or at the very least have him write the script and then Gareth Edwards just direct. Yeah, because I think that's the problem with Gareth Edwards is like he's a brilliant. Uh, director from the standpoint of like giving us beautiful shots, mm-hmm. but his writing is absolute, just like emptiness. <laughs> and so you need a screenwriter to actually do that for him. And again, Peter and I keep saying this, who are two of the greatest like artists in this space of all time? Spielberg and Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many times they've written the screenplays for their own films? Two, three times, maybe. And they've both made at least 30 films. Yeah. And yet, somehow, when you watch a Spielberg film or when you watch a Scorsese film, it does feel like them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does feel like they wrote it. Yeah. So that that that's kind of, I think, what a lot of the filmmakers in this era are missing is that they don't necessarily have a voice and quite honestly, they don't have the talent in regards to being able to write. Mm-hmm. But we're in a culture that's like so focused on like this idea on if you're a director, well, you also have to be a writer. Mm-hmm. Just... But that just wasn't how it was. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of great things then. And now we're living at a time where it feels on some level that we have less great things. And I think that may be part of why that is. Um. J.J. Abrams, Zack Snyder, those are also people who, again, put them behind a camera and they can make magic happen. 
unless it's with a script that they also wrote, then that is the epitome of garbage. Mm -hmm. So the overall point, sorry, it's got away from me completely. But the point is, this happened, well, I guess your point was is that they do this a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do this a lot. And I, I don't even know the specifics. And I don't really want to because personally, I happen to really like the movie. And this is actually a really strange situation where it both kind of um, has something in common with something else that we're going to discuss today. Um, but it actually, I feel, worked out in the end. Frozen 2. They didn't know what was happening until almost the last minute. Mm -hmm. And then somehow they were able to pull it together. And honestly, you know, Peter hates it and he has his feelings about it and that's perfectly fine. But you could have fooled me. Um, when I saw the film, it didn't feel like something that was like strung together. It had like no overarching like story or, or idea. Um, and honestly, a lot of us on the show greatly preferred what uh, was being... Um, uh, what was in that 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 film in in the original? Um, certainly, uh, some of the songs I felt were were stronger. Um, that they were strong in the first film, obviously. But um, there are sometimes, and maybe a couple more, where it has worked out. Um, I mean, to be fair, um, whether it came with a scandal or not, and let's be real. Oftentimes it didn't in the mid 2010s with Marvel Studios. They did reshoots with every single film. It does make you wonder though. Looking back at it. How extensive were they? Because we know now mm -hmm. the, the, the extent that which they do reshoots is basically shooting the whole thing over. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to wonder... Did this happen somewhere out along the line after COVID or right before COVID? Did, like, or is this something they were doing all along? I don't... You know? It doesn't make any sense that they would do it all along because here's the thing. They had a good enough team in place at the beginning where they didn't have the problems with storytelling that they do now. I think it's just something that's developed Mm -hmm. um, and kind of evolved, or I guess devolved, because of the way that Kevin Feige has decided he wants to make his movies. But then that's the real problem with at least Marvel Studios in particular. Um, but uh, I Disney in the long run has been really lucky. Um, mm -hmm. I think one of the big ideas we're going to tackle on in this show is how much longer can that luck continue? Yeah. But back on, on what we were saying, David, go ahead. Uh, no, I mean, you were mentioning like, like if this is, uh, if this was something that they've been doing at the beginning and like, kind of, like, I don't know. I mentioned it before, but like, you know, the writers for Infinity War, they had no idea how Thor Ragnarok was going to end. Um, they had no idea how Infinity War was going to begin, but like, they just, they planned it out. In a sense, like they were prepared for anything, and so because like again, they didn't know how to start Infinity War, but when they saw Thor Ragnarok and they and they and they saw that you know Thor it ended with Thor in space and all that, they went cool. That's how we started. Thanos gets there. Um, 
I don't even know if they knew that Loki like took the Tesseract. I mean, that's that's I don't even know. Maybe, maybe that was a reshoot in Thor Ragnarok or something. But they went, oh hey, can you like add this or something? Oh, well, not because again, they didn't know about it till it came out. So yeah, that wasn't planned. But it just makes sense, I guess. Yeah, so they got lucky with that. But they knew how to start it, and then everything else just flowed. They knew everything else was how it's going, how it was going to go. So, but I don't know if that was like during shooting or they had the script ready before shooting or what. But I mean, ultimately, it was just after Endgame that they kind of just got full of themselves, <laughs> you know. Like I don't know what it was, and, and but but they also lost a key component as to what made the magic sauce work. Right, it wasn't Kevin Feige alone. Of course, it wasn't. It mm-hmm. was, and people who think that it was are absolutely uh, naive to believe so. Mm-hmm. You, and the thing is, Feige was working with some really incredible television talent, the Russos and Marcus and McFeely, and I feel like the quality going downhill is apparent um, when you lose the people who were responsible for you know really piecing this all together you're right they didn't know how a lot of these other films were going to begin or end but i think you just kind of gave away the secret right like kevin feige wasn't the one that was like meticulously connecting the dots Mm -hmm. and this character goes there or this object goes there you just said it yourself marcus and mcfeely the writers of several of the films including infinity war and endgame which are the two movies, obviously, that kind of pieced it all together. They're the talent. Mm-hmm. They were the ones who were able to actually thread that line mm-hmm. and make it seem that's this is a real special part and make it seem as if that was the plan from the very beginning. When obviously it wasn't, yeah. but somehow they were so good at their jobs, they convinced the whole world that they had nothing to do with it. <laughs> and it was somebody else's accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I, I again, you want to know what Marvel Studios needs? Get people, get them, or get people like them to start um, carrying the load of all of this. The problem is Kevin Feige has, after Endgame, acted less as a producer and more as a writer and a director. That's the problem, right? Like he feels somehow either entitled or emboldened that he can just do this thing himself. That's, I was going to say that too. I like, I feel like he's the one that's like really wanting to plan it out now. Like before, again, like, I don't, I mean, we don't know how it worked in the beginning or how he sort of went about every single movie. Like I, I know in civil war, um, same writers, um, Marcus and McFeely, right? Yes. Um, they they had no idea what to do with that movie. They just knew the only idea they had was Modoc was going to be the villain. Like that's the only <laughs> thing they had. But then literally they said they were like in the, they were in the off, in, in their office ready to write, and Kevin Feige just opens his door, comes in, and goes Civil War, and then leaves. And then the writers went, "That's a great idea." And so they wrote a script, they planned it out so that they can add characters in. That is what they did. They showed it to Kevin Foggy, and he goes, great. Add another character. Okay, which one? He did the Spider-Man, um, like, web shooting thing. And they went, okay. <laughs> and then they added him in. 
somehow <laughs> you know so like again i don't know what kevin foggy's thought process was when he was just kind of like let's just add this character in or something like was he just kind of like having fun with like wanting to add things or what and then what he's doing now like what are you doing like are you he was being an executive giving executive decisions and leaving it to the writers to do their jobs and find a way to making it feel as if that was the plan the whole time but here's the thing one of the things you can track the drop off and quality back to is at some point feige stopped hiring talent or I should mm-hmm. probably be more blunt. He stopped hiring, hiring talented people. Mm-hmm. He started hiring people who've barely worked a day. Yeah. Or have had been on one project mm-hmm. and have had no experience working on big budgeted stuff like this for the singular purpose of uh, being a puppet uh, for him mm-hmm. and doing the things that were something that he didn't want to really do personally. That's another part of it is like the executive is now making all of the decisions and he is not being challenged. And he's also not being put in collaborative situations with actual talented writers. Again, remember, this is why I keep saying the person who somehow people want to put their trust into now that oh yeah this time because he realized he made a mistake this new daredevil born again whatever it's going to be called now he realizes that he was in the wrong and he's going to deliver like he's always done for us he hired people to write and direct this show that who only were attached to like one thing before over 10 years ago on the USA cable network, some spy show that no one remembers. Mm. That's the level that he, Kevin Feige was looking at. He literally was looking at the bottom of the barrel. What the fuck do you expect is going to happen when all you look for or has-beens, or hacks, or people who may have, like, the promise of talent, but then you completely oh. undermine them. Like Nia DaCosta. And only mm-hmm. with Nia DaCosta, not only was she undermined, they fucking carpet-bombed her <laughs> when yeah. the film came out. They carpet-bombed her, they were completely stabbed her in the back. I still can't believe that actually happened. Like, and they've only ever done that to one of her, one of their directors, and it happened to be the black female. Just a really, really bad look when you do that. Um. So, if you ask me personally, um, as we've been studying how Marvel Studios has been and where it's going these last few years, it does come across that Feige has really turned into a prima donna that really has bought into his own hype and is not interested in really collaborating with people. Like it kind of happens to a lot of uh, individuals who at one point were very successful and insist on keeping things a certain way. Um, and then just end up, con- you know, putting out less successful um, 
products, or I don't want to say the word products, but less successful projects. Um, you know, what comes to mind a lot is particularly George Lucas. Somebody who, when he made his prequel trilogy, I mean, that's all him. Yeah. And again, uh, to be clear, because some people are going to like go and, and there's like this whole spread, I think on, uh, forget what the, an Empire magazine about like how it's the 25th anniversary of the prequels and everything. And look, we love the era. Um, we love a lot about, you know, what that vision represented, uh, and what it did for Star Wars, obviously. But, uh, if you're looking at it as movies, there's a reason why they're, uh, infamous, uh, <laughs> in the community of, of, uh, of film fans, um, and why they've, uh, were, were trashed. And in a lot of ways, a lot of what's in those movies really can be like a handbook of like what to not do <laughs> when you make movies. Um, sorry, that's just, and, and by the way, I, I say this as somebody who owns those films, who's seen those films many times and will continue to watch those films. Um, I enjoy them for what they are, but whatever they are, mm. <laughs> the majority of it is not what I would consider G O O D. <laughs> Just putting that into perspective. And I think that's kind of what's happening with Feige. Um, and so with Daredevil, um, quite frankly, I don't care. I, I I mean, when it comes out, maybe we'll watch it. Mm-hmm. But like, the thing is, we already know what it's going to be and how we're going to feel. And it's not going to be as good as what we already had. So mm-hmm. same old song and dance. Um, as it is, um, yeah, uh, I do also want to get your thoughts on, uh, another story that we've been covering these last few weeks. Um, we talked about it last week and then also the week before that with you and Alexis at that point in time, all we really had were uh, the comments about Sokka and uh, the elements that were being removed from his character. You, from my perspective, weren't really all that bothered by that. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I, I noticed in the group chat that we have, <laughs> yeah. you, were, you were far more, forgive the pun, but it, it actually fits here. You were far more animated um, I'm not sure that qualifies as a pun, but anyway, mm. uh, you are far more animated about uh the other things that were revealed by the by I guess the showrunner of this. And before we get to those specifics, let me ask you this: <laughs> since the last time you were on this show, how has your feelings? on what ultimately this is going to be (laughs) and what you're going to feel about it. How have they changed if they've changed? Um, Or has it been a case where all the things that have come out since have just reaffirmed what you've always felt? But if you ask me, you seemed especially bothered about some of the things that were revealed um, after we recorded the podcast that you last were on. So go mm-hmm. ahead. No, yeah. I mean, I still, 
I still want to give it a shot, obviously, because I mean the biggest example of like they can, uh, they, that this can still work is the One Piece live action. Um, I I've never seen the uh, animated one, but I I know it's in the sense you can kind of think of it as the same as uh, Last Airbender, where it's just a group of people going on an adventure. They got into these crazy shenanigans and all that, and so the the fact that um the live action one can like condense it and still give you this big big adventure and it was big too you know it, it takes place in the ocean you know you're going to different islands so it, they're able to do that so i mean that show is just the best example of that like last ever in there can still work and all that um <laughs> my thing though yeah basically what you mentioned was the thing that kind of bothered me was um they mentioned like uh we're not gonna make them go into we're not gonna make them go on adventures and all that and i'm kind of like that's kind of important though (laughs) for the plot like you know because to me i don't think the whole soccer thing i don't think that's really important for the plot itself and i just don't really see how that his character development within the kiyoshi episode kind of follows through uh throughout the series you know um so but with this one i kept mentioning it them going on adventures that that's really important for the plot because the biggest one was hey guys let's go on a little vacation where they go to this deserted place where they meet a guy what's where which is where they go to the library and then that whole scenario they find out about the eclipse thing then they find then they lose uh appa that whole episode afterwards it was like really really great but then it also led to them not being able to fly to uh Boston say which forced them to go to the to the boats but then they meet someone who couldn't go to the boat so they went all right let's take the long way which is going to the serpent's pass which is <laughs> also lit. yeah it's just like i can go all on and off like that You're one specific thing there was thing. no filler there was no filler in yeah. the show and that's look that's an, another thing and i don't want to relitigate this tangent but again the obsession that people want to say with fill with first of all people misunderstand what filler even means mm-hmm. but then again the overall point that filler means bad I don't necessarily feel the way I what people think of as filler is actually really great character stuff. And a mm-hmm. really big part of why you love the show because you love those characters and you wouldn't love those characters if you didn't actually spend some fucking time with it, which is why a lot of the, the streaming shows in this era have paled in comparison because they don't, have long seasons where you actually get to spend time with them. You have or such short seasons on top of them having literally so many other issues with characterization, which that, that we'll be here all night if we get, even get into all those specifics. But the overall point there being is um, every single episode of The Last Airbender um, absolutely mattered for why you love those characters and why you love that show. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a lot of reasons for why when you translate that into a live action setting, you're going to have to lose that. For one, you're going to have to lose the number of episodes because of budget, which again is the one of the primary examples for why we keep saying that live action is an inferior medium the animation. Just because of that, you could do a lot more in animation with a lot less. That's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because so much of what you saw on that show just cannot be translated 
Um, and I think also people who thought they were going to do a complete shot by shot of every single episode, you people are delusional and honestly don't deserve to live if that's mm -hmm. what you think. Because I mean, how, how stupid can you be to think that that's what we're ever going to do? At the same time, the other reason why it, it just it, it will not work as well is because, well, because you have to cut basically what? 12 episodes. Mm -hmm. Um you need to cut a lot out of the story and find a way to make it work uh, coherently. Um, and the way that this person was making it sound like is, well, we're just going to like get straight to the major events of the story. But as many have been pointing out, when the series begins, it's not like, you know, this little 12-year-old boy uh, all of a sudden is like, well, I guess this is my job. Mm -hmm. Let's go ahead and get to the plot. I mean, the point, that, the, the place that I have to be and learn what I have to know. He sealed himself in ice because he exactly didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. if, if, if he had been... The person that was like, "Sure, let's do this," and also would have there wouldn't be a show. Yeah, and but also like the adventures is, I guess you can say coping because like what's the biggest thing? Not just saving the world. Like what's the biggest thing that he has to like get over or like move on from? That he's the last Airbender. He is the last of his kind. Like he cannot. Like he literally had. In the animated one, he literally had to sit down and someone had to tell him, like, you gotta, like, get through this, you know? Like, you... I mean, I remember the line. It was like, yes, you suffered a great loss, but remember, like, that love that you got from them. It turns into new love and it's basically, like, all the airbenders, like, disappearing in front of him, but they transform into uh, Katara. Like, that's part of the reason why it's like, once once you get to that moment, you're like, oh, fuck. You didn't actually like you're not really coping with this aren't you <laughs> like you've been through so much my guy and so once you finally get there it's, it's a punch it's a punch in the gut but and so that's why i think it's important because that is a through line throughout the entire series and it's also like part of the reason why he goes on adventures in third season you know I, well it's also actually just important for the avatar them, himself themselves they literally have to like travel around the world learning the control the elements and all that but they also have to like learn about the culture itself and that's him going through all these different mo different parts of the world kind of makes him the whole monk <laughs> full monk full guru you know um wise man that he becomes it's also really important in the third season too because again that is the most important part in third season is that he goes throughout the fire nation and he sees regular people like fire regular fire nation people <laughs> and so yeah that part just kind of bothers me i feel like it's unnecessary <laughs> for him to channel it's like yeah i gotta like take responsibility for this and go on it's like no he's a kid the whole point is that he, he can't handle this on his own and you mentioned um that he literally like, put himself in ice to avoid the whole avatar um responsibilities that's actually really important for Legend of Korra because you remember her first line, I'm the Avatar. <laughs> you got to deal with it. Like people were saying like, oh, that's people were kind of like, oh, that's a dig at men or something or like or a dig at fans, male fans who hate female leads and all that. That's not it. Literally, 
uh, in the sh- in Last Airbender, hey, why didn't you tell us you were the Avatar? Because I didn't want to be. Legend of the Korra, I'm the Avatar. Deal with it. <laughs> like, it's supposed to be contrast between the two characters. It's supposed to make you go, like, instantly, oh, this is an Ang. This is someone else. And I gotta, like, I gotta figure out who this person is. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just felt like as uh, the days passed by and we heard more about the show, the more it was like, yeah, that tracks with what we thought would be the case. That makes a lot of sense, as a matter of fact. But, um,. I mean, again, we'll mm. see. I'm very lenient on uh, adaptations. I can, uh, I can be a little bit biased depending on like whether it's like, oh, this is a great show because it's doing all the things I love, or it is a bad show. Like, I can be lenient on that. Percy Jackson being uh, one that I was pretty lenient about, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Percy Jackson has just been renewed for a season two. I felt really strong about that from what I was hearing. A lot of really positive word of mouth, and also it did really well with the ratings. So I think it it also is just a clear winner for Disney Plus that they have something that's not in the Marvel Star Wars umbrella, and that it's actually found an audience. And so uh, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for all the fans. Um, and. It's nice to see good things happen to uh, good projects and good people. Um, one would hope that they get moving <laughs> on it already. That's, been, that's the only... They've been writing the scripts since they finished the first one. So hopefully mm-hmm. they're done with it by now at least. And then we can just get on get filming. going. Yes. Yeah. Because they need it. <laughs> they, they need to do that. So that's very good. Um Overall, how did you feel about the the first season? Uh, I really liked it. I rewatched the whole season uh, right after the final finale, and um, like I said, I was kind of like, mm, "Man, am I like liking this too much, or is this kind? Or I mean, like, am I liking this because I love the books, or am I, you know, like what's going on here?" Uh, but rewatching it, though, I'm like, "Okay, no." There is a lot of things that they left out on the books character-wise and all that. But for what they were trying to go for, the character arcs in this show, with the plot, they did a really good job. Uh, I liked the character developments for both um, Percy and Annabeth. Um, Grover was great, but I really actually liked (laughs) Annabeth's character development the most because she was the one that was like ready to be a warrior, you know, be like the favorite child of the gods and all that. But as the adventure went on, she was kind of like, don't really care about what the gods think of me and all that. It's like, I should be more like Percy, who is just a kid. And then, but Percy basically learns the opposite. It's like, he's just a kid, but he kind of learns like, okay, no, I'm actually like more than that. I'm like, I'm a demigod. I'm a son of Poseidon. (laughs) And so that's great. Especially, especially great. Slight spoilers, but like, um, one line, uh, Annabeth, who doesn't have like a good relationship with her father, um, at the end she's like, "Okay, I'm gonna like go hang out with my father. I gotta like, I want to give him a chance." 
Uh, I talked to him. He said, he's going to take me to somewhere called Disney World. I don't really know what that is. She's like, <laughs> and all that. And Percy smiles at her and she's, he's like, just be a kid. And so like that line right there, it's like, it's so freaking important for her character development in that, in the first season, at least. Mm. So slight spoilers, but I mean, I hope that kind of like gets people, more people to watch it. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, it's on Disney plus. It is very much YA's. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it has a lot of a big fan base that, and I feel that because it has a big fan base, that kind of contributed as to why it was so successful in the first place. Of course, the fact that it was well-received is a big part of it as well. But if it's going to continue on, it's going to find an audience with this new generation. Mm. I have no doubt. So um, I'm, I'm very happy uh, that Disney has found something that works um, <laughs> because so much else isn't working at all. Mm-hmm. And also want to point out that this is the third, yeah, third show where the original creator of this adaptation is working on it. We had this one, The Last of Us, and Invincible, where all those shows have the have the creators of it working on the adaptations, and they've all been successful. <laughs> you know, I would say between the three, like Percy is not my favorite. The Last of it's like Last of Us, Invincible, and then Percy. But a lot of it though has to do with the studios where I think they're really holding them back and making these short episodes. Like they're all like 30 to 35 minutes each. And I'm like 45 minute episodes, people like that was the normal standard, <laughs> but also give us 10, you know, there's 20 chapters in the, in like each book, <laughs> just, you know, two chapters for each episode. <laughs> so, yeah, ultimately I think, uh, one of the big things of streaming that, the studios particularly were like slobbering over was the fact that they didn't have to pay as much because they didn't have as many episodes, mm-hmm. and, you know, in some certain respects. Um, yeah. Uh, moving off of that real quick. Um, there was some, well, depending on who you are, big news, maybe not, on uh, a Bye Biger and what he wants to do. Um, I can't stress enough how much of... Um, it's like he is... It's like literally the movie Titanic. Because in the movie <laughs> Titanic, the architect of the ship is the one responsible for the wreck because he tells the captain, wouldn't it make for a wonderful story if somehow we were able to um, get there at night instead of the, the next morning. And so that's why they keep like basically speeding, uh, which ultimately was the reason for why they ended up hitting that iceberg. Not the sole reason, but the primary reason if they weren't, they would have had enough time to avoid it. Hmm. I feel like that architect right now is Bob Iger and the Titanic is Disney um, because the decisions that he's been making lately has um, have been among the most embarrassing slash pathetic um, anything I've seen uh, in all of these years that we've been covering this business, um, especially when you c- consider how that we're talking about Disney, 
we're talking about like one of the staples of the entertainment industry, especially coming off of uh, the 2010s. But as you've been able to tell, it's not as if he's making any kind of new decisions. He's he's making the same kind of decisions that he's he's always made, which is just purchased his acquisitions and sequel, sequel, spinoff, sequel, sequel, prequel, sequel uh, of everything. Um, except he's doubling down on that um, and only doing that. Um, and the mistake that he is making is that he still thinks that it's 2015. And it's not 2015. Mm-hmm. It is now 2024. Uh, we're well into a whole new decade. And this last year should have been uh, an example for him that uh, his shtick isn't going to work. And he, he was reported to have been complaining that all of the films that Disney had last year, with the exception of Guardians 3, were bombing and bombing hard. If you can't figure that out, this guy ain't going to save your ship. Mm-hmm. You, you, you got to be like really deluded into thinking that uh, this guy is going to end up saving Disney in the end at this point, if, if if that's his mentality. And I think like ultimately will the films Zootopia 2, Inside Out 2, Toy Story 5, Frozen 3, um, will those be successful? Yes, because they're sequels to popular films. They will make money. Yes. However, Will they make the billions, the b- b- billions that the uh, the films were making in the 2010s? And it's very obvious. The answer is no. Mm-hmm. Like he's right to an extent. These films are going to print money to an extent, which is why they were greenlit. But part of the problem is You have already an example in The Little Mermaid that came out last year. Those films only exist to print a billion dollars. That did not. And so therefore, it is a failure. Did it make money? Yes. Did it do well? Yes. Did it do what it was expected to do? No. Mm. Far from it. It was a disappointment from that standpoint. And I feel well, that's what's going to happen to all those other films is... There are generations of fans that will go and see them. But I think this is one of the things that Bob Iger doesn't seem to get. Kind of how Joe Biden doesn't seem to get that people are bothered by his age. Like he clearly doesn't get that, Joe Biden. And it's going to cost him in this election. Bob Iger can't see the iceberg in front of him. He can't see that the quality of of their films... First of all, the quality of the overall Disney output, when you put them together, Pixar, Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars, were they ever excellent? No. A lot of them were good. Solid, even. And some were great. Honestly. Mm. That being said, you don't have to look far into Pixar, Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, live action, you don't have to look that far to see stinker after stinker, bomb after bomb, dud after dud, everywhere you look. The problem now is the real, really good movies are like sparse. And the majority of the stuff that people are seeing is like, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's not, it's not. Mm. Yeah. So it's like, it's, there's something seriously broken with how they make movies, and it's been broken for a very long time. He doesn't see that, 
And he also doesn't seem to think that the films failing are a direct response of the quality going down the tubes. That's a really big mistake, if you ask me. That that he doesn't seem to realize that. Um, he also doesn't seem to realize that we just came off a year where ten to fifteen franchises released new installments, new sequels, and they all bombed. Doesn't occur to him that that would be a problem. Um, on top of the fact that um. The other element that's going to hurt those movies is the same element that's hurting all of the Disney animated movies. Bob Chapek's decision to put them on Disney Plus. <laughs> it's going to continue following them around. And there is no realistic evidence I have seen to suggest that they realize that's one of the big problems and therefore there exists no plan to address that problem and as long as you continue to not address it it's not going to go anywhere so like literally all of the things that could go wrong are going horribly wrong for them and the idea that these sequels are going to turn the ship around i mean maybe they'll be able to stop the bleeding Maybe in some circles that would be considered a win. I don't know. Um, but I think to me, what was really just really, really bad this week was um, that we, we now live in a world where apparently there's Moana 2. And it's going to be released this November. Wait, really? <laughs> I don't think I saw the release date in November this year. What the fuck? That's that's really fast, honestly. <laughs> well, because well, let me let me elaborate on what exactly happened. A lot of the animation's complete. Hmm. It's complete because this was not. Um, the animation that was completed was for what uh, the plan originally was there to be a Moana Disney Plus series, and and Bob Iger says that they felt that the animation was good enough to put it together into a movie. The reality is he needed something to placate to his uh, board of the directors. He needed something to show them and wow and woo. Mm -hmm. um, and they're idiots, so they would do it for anything. Um, but really, is this really how you make movies? Yeah. This wasn't supposed to be a movie. This was just supposed to be a TV show. And he's like, yeah, just put them together. We'll call it Moana 2. Let's go. What's come to light since then is uh, Lin-Manuel is not attached to it. Um, the funny thing is, at the moment, there are, there's Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Ali E. Carvalho have not officially been confirmed. I mean, because not that they're not going to come back. They only just started the process to of them being in talks to get them to come back. And this is coming out in November. Moana 2 didn't exist last week. 
I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. This is a very last minute thing to show off to the investors that he still got some juice. And also, I would have much preferred a Moana TV show because I don't know much about like the mythology of well, uh, that culture, but I'm gonna assume maybe there's like a lot of like stuff in it. Yeah, that you can probably like make a TV show out of it. She's going on an adventure with uh, Maui and. They're maybe fighting off monsters. I don't know. Going up against other gods. Like, how is that not a great TV show? And hello, there's another TV show that kind of deals with the gods and everything. That's pretty fucking popular. <laughs> yeah. I will say, though, David, I think your problem is you're thinking about it from the standpoint of a story. Yeah. He's not. Bob <laughs> mm-hmm. Iger's not thinking about that at all. He's thinking about, uh, we need to make money fast. Mm-hmm. We need something that saves my job. Uh, I need something to say that... Um, there's a plan in place here. Also, why are we not bringing that back? Because remember Hercules, Little Mermaid, they all became, they were all TV shows. I mean, this was this wasn't a TV show directly from the movie, but like you still had that Buzz Lightyear TV show too. That was very popular. Like, why aren't we Aladdin, bringing that back? Aladdin, Aladdin, Timon and Pumbaa had their own TV show before That's they had true. their own. Mo- yeah. Oh my god. This yeah, literally okay. was the, this was the the template. Mm-hmm. They and it's, it, and I'm just talking about Moana, but like, f- like Frozen, like really, you can't make a TV show where Elsa goes on like, tries to help out people in the kingdom, and like you know she makes the situations worse because of her freeze, like her of her powers and all that, or maybe it's Elsa <laughs> screwing up or something, or not Elsa, I mean Anna screwing up some kind of help, and then Elsa's the one that fixes her or something. I don't know. Like you can make a whole bunch of shenanigans with the both of them. Hold the phone. Wait a minute. This is, oh, God, I'm just thinking about something pretty bad here. Hmm. You have to really, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but wasn't there supposed to be a Disney Plus show called Zootopia Plus? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it was just supposed to be, like, just crazy things that they deal with, isn't it? I'm guessing the main characters deal with. David, do you see what I did there, though? Like, They were going did, to do this. <laughs> no, no, they were, and they announced it. But did they take... Did they already do this? Did they take what was supposed to be a show and then just said, that's Utopia 2? Maybe. That was one of the announcements, right? Zootopia 2? But it, that was announced a long time ago, Zootopia yeah. 2. Well, not maybe not a long time ago, but last year, mm-hmm. it was announced, and it was announced alongside Toy Story Five and Frozen Three. The thing though is that you can still do both too, like Dragon um, How to Train Your Dragon. That one, the first movie came out, and then it became a TV show on Cartoon Network, and then the second one came out, and then it became another TV show, but it was on Netflix, and then you had the third one, but and it's like. And you really don't need to watch the shows to understand the movies. So, like, I don't know. I, re- I really don't mind these sequels. But you can still do a whole lot more with them than just making them movies. <laughs> and so, no, but yeah, I think you're probably right. I think they probably just got rid of the Zootopia Plus and try to... I don't know if they were going to do some kind of investigation throughout the show or, or what, but I don't know. 
I'm texting Peter right now in real time just to get some verification on that because okay, you don't do that. Mm-hmm. You do not do that for the very if you want something to succeed, that's not how you do it at all. You do not take a story that was meant to be in one medium and then turn it into another. That you know how you, I know you don't do that when John Lasseter, yes, we all know he's a, he's a asshole and apparently he abused people and, and touched people inappropriately and fuck him for that, obviously. But I mean, the man still, uh, well, the man is still a giant or was a giant in, in a lot of what Disney was and became so much that he was in charge of both Pixar and Disney animation at the same time. Um, one of the first things that John Lasseter did was he shut down Disney Toon Studios. They were responsible for uh, the direct to DVD sequels. Peter Pan 2, Pocahontas 2, Mulan 2, uh, Little Mermaid 2 and 3, Cinderella 2 and 3, uh, Fox and the Hound 2, Lady and the Tramp 2. Um, so many of those films. Mm-hmm. Um, they diluted the brand. That was a Michael Eisner idea. It really uh, gave Disney a bad look. And everybody was on the same page at that point in 2007 when Lasseter came on and was like, fuck that. That's going away. <laughs> and I don't think he was wrong. I think a lot of people were just like, yeah, that was the right decision to make. Mm-hmm. But if you look into a lot of those directed DVD sequels like Tarzan 2 or Atlantis 2, they weren't movies. They were literally test pilots in in some cases like atlantis 2 they were literally episodes of an atlantis tv show but the show was canceled because it was a box office bomb so their idea was well to salvage ringing a bell Hmm. to salvage this we're gonna make it into a makeshift film and go straight to dvd to make some kind of money off of it which at both at the same time, I am thinking of what they're doing with that Daredevil reboot, and I'm thinking of what they're doing with Moana 2. The, the exact same things. Mm-hmm. You've done this already. That was 20 years ago. Did it work out for you then? No. Is it going to work out for you now? It's not. Michael Eisner is responsible for a lot of what we ended up loving about Disney. And I think the years have been and are continuing are going to be kind to him because he was easily the most creative person on top of that company since Walt Disney. There is not a single creative bone in Bob Iger's body. And I think his decisions continue to prove that. And by the way, the 2015 version of me would be shocked to hear me say these words, but it's the truth. It's also true that Eisner stayed way too long. There were a lot of problems going on with him personally and professionally, and it led to him being ousted. And to be fair, he made a lot of really bad decisions at the end that cost the company dearly. Um, But where are we now? Mm -hmm. We're now in a situation where everything that's announced and everything that's coming to us It's like you see it, don't you? You see the iceberg. I'm, yeah. I'm, it. We're heading mm-hmm. straight forward, and like everything else in reality, 
we're all just gonna be like, yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't know what's what, what he thinks is gonna happen, mm-hmm. but um, he is he is a fool to think that um, it's gonna be good, and I feel bad for a lot of the characters in a lot of the stories we're gonna be fucked with, um, because. What hope is there for a Moana too? Mm-hmm. Especially if uh, also Lin's not involved. Like, come on! <laughs> like he really made that movie great with the songs. Come on! <laughs> so I don't understand how you wouldn't put him in. That's just weird. Oh, you know what? Let me let me correct myself. I'm wrong. Hmm. Zootopia Plus did not become a movie. It okay. already came out. It came out already. I just didn't realize it came oh, out. Oh, okay. Already. I was like, oh, okay. All right. No, that's my bad. Um, but I mean, is it really outside the normal possibility that they would do that? Um, who maybe they took season two and turned that into a movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, who even knows? Um, uh, apparently it had six episodes. I could scream right now mm-hmm. with this six episode stuff. I know. But what good would it do? They don't care. Um, and they pitched 10 episodes, but they were only given uh, six. That's what I'm reading here. Mm. So, look, Disney... Um, it's not going great. And I feel like... Um, you know, turning the conversation into turning red a little bit here. Um, as we've said for years now, the situation that was dealt to... Honestly, if we're going to be real here, I think it doesn't just affect turning red Luca and Encanto. It also affected Raya and the Last Dragon, Soul and Onward particularly. I think those what six films were a very just a very unique set of movies um it, they just happened to come out at the worst time you know you can't see a global pandemic coming um and then you also couldn't see how bad that would mess with people not wanting to ever come back to movie theaters and you also couldn't see some stupid ass putting them on streaming and thinking that would it wouldn't hurt the the brand going forward uh into theaters and everything and how people or not would want to actually go and see them how did it work out that the second that they were able to safely put movies back into the theaters with the exception of Encanto because Encanto did get a theatrical play it just Mm. bombed nobody watched in theaters really Um, with the exception of Encanto the other films that have been released for the most part have been disappointing or lackluster not all of them but most of them have been Um, Luca turning red uh, and Encanto in particular, I think were a one, two, three punch that no one could have saw coming. And I think it's one of the best one, two, three punches 
I've seen anyone ever give. Like, it, it was a real, real great string of films. And then there are kind of asterisks to add on to them because, you know, even Encanto didn't get like an appropriate theatrical release. Like it was only in theaters for 30 days exclusively. Mm-hmm. Then it went to Disney plus. Um, so maybe they, they should look into doing an Encanto re-release that maybe that should have been the first one to kick things off with. Cause that one is the most popular one. Um, there's a thought. <laughs> Gee, idiots just release Encanto again for Thanksgiving. There you go. Mm. That'd be great. There you go. Fixed it for you. Um, but they won't. <sighs> so um, Turning Red was one of those films where um, it was released in March 2022. And movies were already back at that point, And you could have released it in theaters. But they chose to put it on Disney+. Plus and, um, you know, uh, getting into that movie. When we watched it. And we reviewed it. We were absolutely taken with it. Some would even say we were blown away by how good it was. And I remember thinking almost immediately when I first watched that film on my TV years ago. I cannot believe they took this away from us. Like I cannot believe. Just imagining the kind of audience reactions that I would have. That we would experience together if they had let this go into theaters. You and I both saw it today um, at, at the theater. And I got to tell you, um, every part of that experience completely reinforced what I already believed was great about the film and really supported the idea of how much of a hit it could have been if it had been released in theaters originally, as was intended. Um, it is honestly in a lot of ways kind of a perfect movie like <laughs> it just goes and goes and goes and goes one of the tightest films the editing the pacing the writing the voice cast the humor um the story, the animation. Like this is a film that literally is firing on all cylinders. And I'm just scratching the surface when I say all those things. But when we're talking about like what it felt like to watch this in the theater, there were a lot of times where and this doesn't necessarily mean that there were things on screen that were quote unquote emotional, but I found myself getting emotional. Of just like watching, and even in the happy moments, just or even in the funny moments, because like I, so many times I kept like pinching myself, like I can't, like this. This is a surreal experience in a way. It's a film that I was supposed to originally watch this for the first time in a theater, and I didn't. I watched it at home, but it was a new movie. It's a weird Mm -hmm. thing. But the whole time I'm watching it, I just I I cannot believe. This is what I'm experiencing. And it almost felt, which is crazy because I already, I know the movie so well. It was one of my favorite films 
I would think I think I was the only person in our group to actually put that film in their top ten of last year, of 2022. Alexis, I think if she had made a list, she definitely would have put it on the top sure. ten. But I don't think anybody else did. It was just me, and I had it like mm-hmm. right in the midway point, uh, or at least before the top five. Um, it felt like I was watching it for the first time all over again, even though I walked in knowing exactly who these characters are and what was going to happen. It was like, it's as if it was erased and I was watching it again and everything was hitting. Uh, All those things I mentioned, um, the songs written by Phineas and Billie Eilish, uh, the, 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 the beautiful score by Ludwig Göransson. And just, I think to me, everything that made the film work in the first place and then some popped on the big mm-hmm. screen. That's a big part of uh, something we don't about the theatrical experience that we don't talk about often. But I think it really reinforced and reaffirmed what I feel strongly um, there is to be gained by watching something for the first time on that big screen. And you know why also it made me feel like I was watching for the first time? It felt like there was so much I missed watching it on my TV as far mm-hmm. as like the flourishes and the popping of the colors. And, uh, and so much of the film is inspired by anime. And yet it didn't hit as well as it did here watching it on TV. A lot of those moments, not that it didn't hit well, period. I'm just saying when you watch it on the big screen, there's just so much more like Boom. Just it's just there. Mm-hmm. Um This is one of my favorite. Um I will say this now. This is easily one of my favorite Pixar and animated films ever, period. <laughs> and I felt similarly about that. I mean, obviously I loved it. I put it in my top ten last year. But um this film just gets more and more and more. It just gets better every time I see it and more emotional as well. I think to me, the crux of it, of this film about like this being about a, a daughter and a mother uh, learning about trying to accept themselves and who they are and, and to heal emotionally. Um, I, I honestly feel this is one of the best films that Pixar has ever done. It is exceptional. It is hilarious. It is riveting. And it's also emotional too. Like, I mean, and I've already said this, that I was getting emotional for various different reasons uh, while watching the film. But of course, when it did come down to those moments of the heart, they were like, it reminded me of what Disney films used to make me feel like when I went to go see them in a theater. Um, and I gotta say, like, I was even like, um, he's not going to watch this. And I don't mean to say this to embarrass him, but let me tell you something. I have been watching movies with Peter for many, many years now. It is rare I didn't see anything, but it's rare that I hear him getting somewhat emotional. <laughs> uh, and 
there was this moment in the film, particularly when, and you know what? I, I don't think I appreciated enough the first few times I watched this, how much they also do make sure to bring the grandmother in and incorporate her as part of this healing of trauma. Um, I didn't that notice, was the biggest impact for me. Yeah, I didn't notice it as much the first few times I watched it, but now I'm like, it stuck out. And I think it also stuck out for him as well, because there was this moment where she basically, they're back in this like uh, liminal space where the climax is concluded and they're all trying to get rid of their pandas one last time. Uh, and this comes right before uh, like the, the, the border, I guess the, the portal and, and May May stays and the mom goes, but when they when may may finds her mom as a little ki- a little girl she brings her back to the aunties and the grandmother and then she's a, an adult again and the aunties step aside and then there's just like this moment there's, there are no words but the grandmother is just like looking at her daughter and you know what she's feeling you know you, you know all you need to know that and this is a character who obviously isn't going to use words to really show how she feels she's going to say it <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that <laughs> Of that moment in Across the Spider-Verse where um, uh, Sergeant Singh, I believe, uh, his daughter dates the, um, what was it called? Um, the, the Spider-Man that's in the, what was it called? The 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 Indian-inspired uh, Spider-Verse <gasps> world. But the point Oof. is, the daughter, yeah. the daughter is looking at her dad, who's like stone cold. And she's like, I've never seen him so emotional. <laughs> it was just like that moment it was like well i guess sometimes you could just tell even though to an ordinary person you wouldn't be able to tell but that moment hit really hard in a way it hadn't before and i i, I heard the reaction coming from it like it, it hit him as well and it's like wow this was really i mean this was always in my view a really special film but something about watching it again in the, i mean for the first time in the theater really just reminded you uh, of a lot of different things it reminded you of, of what we were robbed of and it reminded you of um the power of these stories and why sometimes for them to hit at their most potential they do kind of need to be in the medium that they were intended for and oftentimes the best medium for that is the cinema is the big screen um I had one of the best times I've had in a movie theater in a long time. And that, mind you, is coming off a long string of really, really, really positive theatrical experiences. I mean, just in the last few weeks, I mean, I'm coming off of seeing Poor Things, American Fiction, All of the Strangers, The Iron Claw, The Color Purple, Wonka. <coughs> um, all very great experiences. And then this comes out and it's just like, this is kind of like the best movie ever in comparison to those. And those films, by the way, weren't bad. They were really, really good and great in some cases. But this, <sighs> Alexis will rue the day <laughs> that she didn't go with you to see this because God damn it, this was incredible. And I was even saying, Peter, the entire way through, like, even after the first 10 minutes concluded, like, that has to be one of the best intros to a film I've ever seen. Like, boom, 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 boom. Like, one thing after the other. Like, it gets you right into it, and it gets to who these people are just like that. An absolute master class of what you and how it should be done. 
Uh, clearly, <laughs> very high praise for me indeed. Uh, both of us came into this film already loving it. And mm-hmm. I feel like nothing really could have prepared me for where I'm at now, which is walking out of it. I am loving it that much more. That much more. I'm loving it so much, I'm going to hold it right now <laughs> in my <laughs> hands. Um, this wonderful uh, Blu-ray that came out, uh, I believe this was also in 2022. Uh, for those of you who are watching on the video, you can see it. Uh, here's the the backside of it, too. I'm just going to... We're going to do this show and tell here, boys and girls. Uh, um, that's great. Um, I'm not going to open it up. That's fine. <laughs> but it's just like... It's like this is so good and mm-hmm. i feel like this is going to be remembered by the generation that are kids right now very very much fondly it's also just a very um what the film has to say and a lot of the things that it's speaking to are also things that animated films rarely get into <laughs> like topics mm-hmm. of like periods <laughs> for instance or even the the um the anatomy of what your sexuality is like that's a big part of these these are eighth grade girls i mean they don't you don't you forget sometimes because they look tiny but like you got their mind yeah. these are eighth graders uh mm-hmm. the, these main girls here the main character they're literally teenagers they're teenagers that's when the onset of sexuality at that point is well you know there so mm-hmm. um I, I i don't know there may not be enough things to say about it and i know i haven't given you your chance yet and i will i i do want to say though <laughs> there exists an alternate reality where billy eilish might have won best song three years in a row <laughs> and this is what i mean because she's gonna win this year for barbie she won two years ago for No Time to Die. Um, and honestly, she could have won last year for Nobody Like You, but the song wasn't even nominated. And I think one of the things, I know, I know, right? You, you, you see, I see it already in your face. One of the things that really stood out, again, watching it you know, on the big screen was how much that, that song plays into the film, mm-hmm. to the characterization, to the arc of the film. And in the climax of the movie, it is both like a vintage 2000s-y kind of song, and it, but it also is the song. It, it is the what was I made for of this movie. Mm-hmm. It is the theme of the film. Um, and so I, I don't understand why that was so overlooked. Um, I mean, as a song, it is such a bop to listen to. But in context, in the film, and that's the other thing too. A lot of movies, um, you know, their songs are kind of like an afterthought. They're there, but they're not really the main thing. Rarely does a, a, song, a movie use a song that enhances everything going forward. And it not being a musical. That's where I mean, by the way. Musicals, of <laughs> course, have and should do that. But if they're not, and you're still able to do it as if, if it was a musical, that is especially impressive to me and endearing to me as well, which is why I think, you know, both I'm just can and what was I made for worked so well in Barbie and why ultimately nobody like you works so well in, in turning red. 
Um, oh, guys, this is such a good movie. Sorry, David, I, I hogged literally everything. Please go ahead and tell me, because I know you, unfortunately, had to see this by yourself because you were ditched. Because um, <laughs> evidently, um, uh, Little Miss Moreno had to go to yet another party. How nice <laughs> must it be to be invited every other weekend to leave for a party? Anyway, continue. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I 100% agree with everything you just said. Um, everything about this movie just, it holds up. It, <laughs> and it doesn't let up. Like, it just, from beginning to end, it moves along so quickly. It, but so, 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 so smoothly. And I loved every single character. Um, Mamie is hilarious throughout the whole thing. And, you, you know, you mentioned some of the emotional stuff, but also just, like, not the emotional stuff, but, like, the funny moments, but also embarrassing moments, and also kind of, like, kind of scary moments, too. Like, when that part, that scene in the party where the dude was, like, gonna pay her $200, I was legit, like, worried for a second. Even though, like, I just... Tyler, was, like, third you mean. time watching. Yeah, Tyler. Um... You know what? This is like the third time watching it. I was still kind of like, oh my gosh, you really can't could have heard him. Like, I don't know. It was it was legit scary, but then also the embarrassing moment of the drawings. <laughs> she goes to the commissioner. I'm literally like, oh god, no. like I, if I was alone, I definitely would just like close my eyes. I mean, look, the time. sound. No, there was other people there. The sound <laughs> design too. When the mom literally like she had the drawings and she just she she slapped them in front of um whatever his name was, but it, but mm-hmm. they landed and the, there was the noise effect of a bomb. Which is what yeah. it was ultimately for Maymay. Like that's just mm-hmm. brilliant editing and decision making going on there. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the best films holistically work to service the themes and the message of of, of the story, um, and this is a perfect example of that. Continue. Mm-hmm. No, and then there was watching in theater. There's definitely a lot more things I noticed. I don't know why, but when, you know when she dropped those drawings in front of that one guy, the way who's drawn. <laughs> like I didn't really pay attention much to his face, like when he was looking at it. And I mean, it's mostly just kind of like weirded out and everything. But like, just paying attention to him more, it was kind of funny. <laughs> like it made the whole scene funnier. There, and there's there's but, more detail, right? There's a lot more detail in, into the animation itself that you didn't catch when you saw mm-hmm. it on, on a TV screen. That's I think part mm-hmm. of like there are literal literally moments where I was like startled. It's like whoa. You almost were like, did they add things into this that I didn't see? But no, no, this is what was there the whole time. You just didn't see it. You couldn't see it mm-hmm. because you were watching it on just, you know, a teeny tiny TV screen. Yeah. And also uh, in the concert, you see a lot more characters that you didn't notice. Yes. It. Like you see the guy from the convenience store in the concert. And I'm like, what the heck? He's there too. Oh my gosh. Like everyone's a fan. It's so funny. Oh, um, oh by the way, uh, Fort Town. One of the, th- the things I, s- I, even after at the end of the movie, I didn't catch this. And maybe you had. And maybe mm-hmm. a lot of people did. But one of the observations that people, that, that Peter made was that, so one of the jokes uh, I, I think that the mom makes in the movie about Fort Town is that why are they called Fort Town if there are five mm. members, right? <laughs> and this literally blew my mind. Um, May May's friend group started off in the movie with four. And in the end of the film, it ended with five because Tyler ended up joining that friend group. Mm-hmm. And they're all like Fort Town fans. So it's like we started off with four members, and at the mm-hmm. end, there are now five members, just like uh, Four Town is. 
Okay. And it it, it didn't occur to me. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's right. That, that that's literally like a mirror of uh what was the joke with the movie? I mean, with with the group for a town, I should mm-hmm. say. Okay. Um <laughs> Yeah, just the small things in there that you mm-hmm. just don't maybe you did catch it, but you just catch it more. Again, like it hits more when you're watching it on the big screen. Um like again, uh, look, I, I meant the grandmother stuff. Like, explain to me why you felt she stood out more this time. Um, if you can, I'm not even sure if there's like one I mean, way to it, say it. Yeah, I know it's it's honestly hard to explain it, but like I don't know why it just kind of like hit me more this time watching it in the theater. But like, you know, it's like for one thing, I didn't, I completely forgot about the line where you know they're about right before they go to the portal. Um, Mamie's mom apologizes to the grandmother, yeah. and and I just completely forgot the line. But she's like, "You don't have to apologize. Like, you're my daughter." And it's like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> and you just got it just kind of hits you like, "Oh okay." Even though the grandmother is like super fucking strict, you know, you can almost like I know some people will be like, "She's a horrible grandmother." Like, she's a horrible, horrible mother and all that. But it's like, no, yeah. Even though she's strict with you, like she. <laughs> She'll never be disappointed in you, basically, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Even though they, that is how the daughters see it. And, all and that, she might obviously. say it. She might say mm-hmm. it, but maybe she didn't actually mean it. Mm-hmm. And parents fuck with you that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's just, I don't know. It's just like hit me more like, oh, you like, you never really cared about what she did. You never really cared about what she did with, you know, with the scar and all that. Like, you always forgive her. It, I don't know why. It just like, it hit me more watching mm-hmm. it in the theater. Going like, oh, you love her. <laughs> you like, you just don't, you don't judge your kids as harshly as you, as they make it seem. Yeah, deep and down, so, you deep down in that moment, you realize what she's realizing. You've always loved your daughter, and you always will. Mm-hmm. And I think it also is reinf- is backed up because moments before in the climax, I mean, she was the one that was like, "I'm not going to lose my daughter," and she breaks her charm and then leads mm-hmm. the charge by turning back into her panda to save her daughter. Otherwise, mm. that wouldn't have it wouldn't have happened. She wouldn't have been saved if it wasn't for her doing that. Mm-hmm. And also, like everything about that ending too, the climax of it. It's like they build it up so well. It all comes together, man. It, it all really comes does. together. I mean, I I I love the moment when she runs away from the ceremony and all that. Also, I actually one little thing. I love that setup though when the, they do the. The ceremony the first time to do the circle and they start singing and she's like what it's like oh yeah we have to like sing to the spirits to like open the you know realm and all that it's like really can just sing any song i'm more of a tony bennett guy but you know your grandma's very just traditional it's so that i mean i just love that setup so much because like it's hilarious from the old man but it's like kind of like i didn't think about this before too there's another thing i noticed but like it's kind of cool that you have like two old people, one who's very, very traditional and all that, but one like the other one, it's he respects the tradition, but like he can have fun with it. <laughs> you know, he yeah. can add his own spin on it. And so it's like, it's, it's, it's that thing of like, that's basically what Mimi is. Like she respects, you know, her tradition, her values of like her family values and all that. But at the end of the day, you gotta, you gotta have to go your own way. <laughs> so I think it's kind of interesting. But, you know, after that, though, I just love 
it's basically her um what's the danger moment <laughs> in yeah, a sense you know she's yeah. running through the town just flying around and everything and that shot of her when she like first transforms back to normal and she's like at the moon in the background the whole robes coming off and everything it's that's just such a great shot as an anime fan <laughs> like yeah. everything afterwards i love it and especially you notice um when the ants, they start like breaking their charms too. <laughs> I was one of them doing the Naruto run, like going, <laughs> doing the whole like, um, arms up and everything. I, I, I thought that was hilarious. But yeah, again, as an anime fan, I love the whole teaming, um, teaming up together and taking on the bad guy in a sense, but <laughs> it was great. <laughs> a couple of things to add on to what you're saying about, um, these characters, right? Um, I legit was like the first few times I watched it, like it, it felt in the moment, like that was such a throwaway line when, uh, the, the old man was like, I'm a more, more of a Tony Bennett guy, but like your mom's old school. Like, and it, it's funny, but that was actually a pivotal moment of like, I guess plot exposition in a way, because it really came back to play in, in, in the, in the climax. I mean, mm. literally in a big way where you bring in Fort Town and they help out <laughs> in, in the actual, like, uh, action. It, it's it's funny. Uh, mm. I also wanted to mention um, the voice actors of those two old elder statesmen. First, the grandmother. Um, mm. The voice comes from uh, Wai Ching Ho, and she is... We know her most for playing Madame Gao in the Daredevil series. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I love it. That's a good tidbit, a little bit of trivia there. And of course, the old man is the man that has like literally a million film credits, Mr. James Hong. Mm. And you, I mean, you you have to recognize that voice. And it's amazing how the man is like 94, 95, whatever, how old he is. And his voice has always sounded the same. It doesn't sound yes. any older. It sounds the same. <laughs> right. Like the biggest one that you could tell his voice changed was fucking um, Harrison Ford. Like <laughs> I remember watch, I rewatched the Indiana Jones movies, but like, you know, you watch the first one and you know, his voice, it's kind of gruff, yeah. but like it's very different how it is now. But um, then I watched, I did watch uh, Crystal Skull and I was like, oh wow, his voice like, is the same as it was like in the first one a little bit. I mean, obviously a little bit more more gruff because he's older, but like it's still almost the same. But then you watch fucking <laughs> Dial Destiny, Dial Destiny, and it's just <laughs> what happened? What the f- what happened? Well, he aged fifteen years. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. But like, it's still. But I mean, we're talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he was he was like what seventy nine when he filmed it. Seventy nine, eighty. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know the ages, but... <laughs> I, I, the thing is, like, yeah, I'm, even Tom Hanks' voice lately, uh, you hear it in uh, in Toy Story 4. Uh, mm. You hear it a little bit there, but James Hong, it's like, are you human, dude? <laughs> yeah. I mean, first of all, you're, you're, in, you're in the 90s and you're still live. Hey, that's a big win. Mm-hmm. Um, I can literally... You can literally get, like, the first Kung Fu Panda movie and then this one, and it's it's going to be the same. <laughs> yeah, Anthony Hopkins' voice is start. It's sounding older lately, because uh, right. of course he says he's eighty or over mm-hmm. eighty at this point. Um, you know who still has the same voice, but but like just a little bit different. Um, 
uh, Mary Poppins guy. Uh, Dick Van Dyke? Dick Van Dyke, yeah. Wow. I think him. I think him is still like the same. But I mean, that dude. <laughs> uh, the, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I do yeah. want to say, though, um, one of the things we haven't talked about just yet. Uh, we spoke about how much more we noticed the grandma in the movie. I noticed this too, but also again, to a much greater degree here, the dad, (laughs) that, that scene particularly with the dad was like, he doesn't get much opportunity to speak, obviously him being the only male in the family, literally. Mm -hmm. Um, but when he does, he's like, Hey, um, I haven't seen the side of you, and I, I, I like it. I like that side of you. I think, uh, but then also he also is very pivotal to May May, right? Because it's like the point of these things is to not like push them away, but to make room for them. And mm-hmm. I think the thing about what makes the story the story really universal is that I mean, obviously it's it's an allegory for whatever you want. I mean, her having this whole other side to her and transforming into a panda. <laughs> literally an allegory for anything you want to put into it. Any kind mm. of person that has struggled with, with has a, a particular identity that, that they carry with them that isn't accepted by people, they're going to gleam onto this particular narrative because of that. And it's moments like these that make it such a powerful and resonant story in the first place. Um, her friends are hilarious. Literally every line hits like boom, 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 boom. Uh, <laughs> What's up with her? What's up with your face? <laughs> I don't know, just the way she's delivered it though. It's like, what the fuck? Where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, and they move real fast too. Uh, yeah. So they say so many things and you might have missed a couple of things too. One of my favorite sequences um, that just makes me laugh so hard was... Um, they're in, I think, uh, math class. Uh, first of all, I love that Russian math teacher. Uh, so <laughs> funny. He's not in the movie a lot, but he's when he's there, it's funny. But basically, the mom tries to break in again, and she has tampons for her, or pads for her, I should say. And then they, they fall out of her purse. And it, the the comedic gags of the whole class's reaction, like, ooh. ooh and then this. literally in the background, Mamie just exploding of embarrassment and the explosion being so fucking dramatic that it's like somebody like threw tear gas into the classroom when they (laughs) they literally punch out the window and like are gagging and then uh, it came back and it wasn't like funny well it didn't i think it lists laughter later on because when her friends find her and they realize that she's a panda now uh because she had been missing from school for days and one of them was like we thought you literally died of embarrassment well, I, I mean, that's what it sounded like. There was a fucking explosion behind you, and then you're just gone. So what else are you going to think? Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, the cringe. The cringe, The cringy part still holds up. No, I still love it when the classroom scene, where, like, you know, she passes a note to Mamie. You know, they pass, they pass it back, but then she passes a note. She's like, no, like, I got to pay attention. And she goes, passes it back. And I just, I don't know why I find it so funny, but, like, when she passes it back and goes, like, <laughs> fucking... <laughs> 
like tap it like you need to see this and it's and it's just your mom's here like what the fuck no and she see her right and she turns around like it's a horror movie too it's like yes and that's what that's the thing about this is so anime inspired it's like the the, it really goes hard uh to Mm -hmm. sell home like it it knows what medium it's using it it it, it very well knows what it's using uh you know what what it's inspired from and it just Mm -hmm. goes at it unapologetically too the parts uh, in the mart where you know the mom sees the drawings and she confronts the guy <laughs> and whenever it cuts to Mamie like when something like when she's about to show it when she no when the mom's about to show the drawings it, when it cuts to Mamie it just like zooms in on her everything around her goes dark and there's just like a light under her like <gasps> no <laughs> so, yeah. no that happens so like, that happens several times when it, it zooms in on oh, Mamie sure. right before that in, in the on in her room after she was like drawing in her notebook and she's like don't look down don't look down and then she looks down like no and then she of course she looks at the notebook um or even that i mean one of the this is a really like people don't usually praise this in movies but i also mentioned this to peter as we watched it one of the things that this also uh had a great use of was its transitions Really, really mm. good transitions. They're not. I think you notice them more if you're looking for them in the movie. But then, like, oh, that's really nice. But one of the best ones was when you cut to the dad and he's cooking, and you have the music. <laughs> it's really like I think dramatic music. And then the music actually comes from the soap opera. I think that we're watching, uh, May May and her mom. Uh, but, oh, but that's yeah, funny. but the dad is like cooking, and it's just like, but that food looks amazing. Oh my god, didn't it look mm. amazing? Yeah, which is like weirdly another thing in anime that like. For some reason, in any anime, the food always looks good. <laughs> so I don't know how uh, they that do sense. that, but it in any mm-hmm. and I remember I one of my favorite parts of the animation in Dragon Ball Super, particularly, which is when, when literally when Beerus and, and Whis are gorging and whatever they, I mean, but it all looks so good. It all mm-hmm. looks so good, and it's like Bulma, can you hook us up too? Because that looks amazing. Yeah. I want to eat that too. <laughs> I really find it like delicious in that in that one when they had like insta instant soup like ramen soup. Oh, yes. <laughs> it just kind of like, but it was like this ginormous cup, and I'm like, I want that. <laughs> I want that too. It looks mm-hmm. yeah, it's good. <clears throat> I I will say though, I what I do like about the film is that a lot of other stories would probably have incorporated. An element in here that mm, may prove to be a distraction. And they didn't do it here. Because you do see and are reminded in the movie that it's on the news. <laughs> uh, and then by the, by the end of the film, well, that was unavoidable, right? But like, I just love the fact that the people in this world... Do not give a flying fuck that they can transform <laughs> into pandas, and they're like cool about it and, and love them for that. And I mm-hmm. love how we don't waste any time here dwelling yeah. on the usual fare that goes into doing those kind of stories. I love how we just don't even acknowledge it because we don't. We don't. Yeah. We don't gotta waste time on that. We really <laughs> yeah, don't. for sure. It is what it is. It's animation. Mm-hmm. We accept it. Let's go. Let's move on. But also, I don't. I find it totally believable. That one friend, the short purple one, <laughs> when she's just like, just always wants to hug her. Like, uh, oh wait, that was, that one moment 
uh, when they were in the bathroom, and she, and she goes, you know what will really, really help me think? If you transform into the panda. Abby, like, I believe. Fine. Abby, yeah, Abby. Abby. <laughs> it's Abby, and then Priya, and then there's um, Miriam. Yeah. Mm. I have their names right here, because I, I, I forget them, too, although I shouldn't. Um, yeah. Um, there was also some stuff in this film. I believe we may have talked about it two years ago. Um that people may have been reading some other things into it. Um, there was a moment in the party scene that people were thinking that um, there was a hint of a future romantic relationship between Priya, that's the the friend with the with the the goth one. Yes, Wait, the yellow one. Yeah, 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 the yellow one, and then the other goth one. Like there was mm-hmm. people who were like, because it, it cuts to the other girls like making some kind of gestures, like, "Hey, look at those two. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, that's an interesting thing to slip in there. Um, and it could mean anything. Like, the thing is, people, we should also know at this point, we're living in, a, in an era where, like, we we talk so openly about, you know, gender identity and sexuality that it, it's totally fine that um, people can have multiple things, right? That they can mm-hmm. uh, be. Um, and it's not so binary anymore. And I find that a really cool thing. Similarly, yeah. there were um, maybe maybe this one isn't so much in the text; it's maybe more speculation. But there were um, theories being thrown around there about like uh, the orientation of one Tyler, especially how much how much he is integrated into the group and how much of a four townie he is. Um, I mean, <laughs> he the guy was like literally having like he was literally like shedding tears <laughs> for the boys. So it's like, I mean, with, along with the girls. So it's like, well, mm-hmm. I mean, and by the way, I, I point that out not to say like, oh, that's funny. No, mm-hmm. I, I pointed out, I was like, that's awesome that that kind of representation is just there and accepted and mm-hmm. not at all made to feel like it's alien or foreign or wrong is the point. Um, mm-hmm. So again, it's like, one of the, when it comes to matters of representation, it's there. It's not in your face, mm-hmm. but it's there, and it's it, it's meaningful. And believe me, the people who need it the most are the children who are growing up and may one day find out that they belong to those kind of communities, and they will look back on moments like those uh, to hold up to as like what made them feel validated and what made their existence become a real thing you know that's why these Mm. things matter yeah ultimately um go ahead i also do love that moment though when they catch him in the concert and they're just like instantly like oh we're friends again like we're just we're friends in the group now yeah Yeah. (laughs) like literally they were they found it to be the most annoying person ever and it like as soon as they like found some common ground they were like oh you're in the group now. Not <laughs> only on. did they didn't adopt him, they kidnapped him. Like they were like, "You're gonna be our friends," and that's it. There's no yeah. ands, ifs, or buts about it. That's it. That's just the way that it is. And then it ended up being that way, <laughs> like yeah. almost immediately. Um, also, it didn't seem like he had any friends, right? Like he probably not. I I feel like he mm. was one of those kids that like maybe talks a big game. And I think if you saw like his house, like he seemed pretty well off and everything. Um, but he was generally unpleasant most of the movie, so I feel like that just seems like the kind of kid everybody grew up with, where it's like, no one really likes you. 
<laughs> and maybe with good reason, honestly, with how you act. I mean, to be honest mm. with you, look, that's just, I mean, I work in education and I'm exposed to a lot of different behaviors. And I think the more I, um, I work in my occupation, the more I realize um, why kids do what they do. Um, not justifying any of it, but um, when you get to see so many different personalities mix and clash, and if you choose to be the person that is just generally unbearably unpleasant, you are not going to be well-liked. It's just how it is. <coughs> mm -hmm. um, and uh, I mean, I feel like he admitted as much, right? Because he felt the need that he needed to have the panda there. Otherwise, mm -hmm. nobody would go to his party, right? Like, I feel yeah. like that's what we, he re really was concerned about. Mm -hmm. For so, sure. Um, So much stuff really going on. Uh, and, the, and the movie is just moving a mile a minute. Um, oh, I, I forgot to mention. I, I So much of what made, I think, the film feel like a 2000s throwback was like it basically... May May opens the film talking to us as if it was an episode of Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> I really love that part about it. Mm -hmm. I also love the title. Yeah, sequence of it too. Like that was just funny too. It's... Yes. <laughs> oh my god! No, I, I mean seriously, everything about this holds up. Like I, I laugh. I still laugh at the same moments and all that. I still cheer for the same moments and everything else. Cringe, uh, embarrassing, scary moments. Like I, I just, it's still the same. So <laughs> I love it. Also, uh, I want to go ahead and just pull this card. Um, for those of you who would love uh, to send hate mail, I know some of you do, uh, kylelira64 at yahoo.com. Feel go ahead, right ahead, because I know that this person um, has not finished Turning Red. And he was invited to come with us, and he chose not to. Um, now, granted, the reason he gave was certainly valid. Also, he always doesn't go with us, so there's that. But... What also isn't an excuse is that the film has been out for two years. And he, well, you know what? That's not true. He did finish it, right? Maybe he did. I don't know. Maybe maybe he did finish it. He did. Let, 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 let me backtrack. He did finish. It's just that he. Oh, I remember now. We were getting mad at him because he was saying that because a lot of it was similar to everything everywhere all at once. It felt inferior to him. And I think we left it there because if we had kept going, uh, we, there would have been some fighting words uh, that a lot of us would have had. Um, mm, mm, <laughs> that, that, ooh, that, that, mm. by the way, that film that is great, but I don't know why we have to compare those two to each other. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, it's understandable <laughs> why, but like, it's still not the same. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not even like saying like, look, Granted, if films have similarities between them, mm -hmm. I understand that. And, and the similarities definitely exist. But I feel like you're saying, I mean, usually those kind of comparisons are, are served for, are, are between films that have such like drastic differences in quality. 
this isn't one of those cases. Turning Red is just as great a film as Everything Everywhere All at Once is. Not in the same way, but it's just as mm-hmm. great in a different way. Yeah. Um, I feel to me, though, if we're going to... Maybe this is my controversial take. Um, and this is coming from somebody who actually loved Encanto, unlike Kyle, who, by the way, <laughs> before even doing a review... The show was just shelved indefinitely. Uh, I mean, the Fantasy Fair review uh, podcast. (laughs) I think this uh, relationship of the mother and the daughter and then also the grandmother being added on here, I think this hits harder than Encanto. Really? I think so for me. And I got to say, I love Encanto. But then again, Mm -hmm. I got to be clear. At no point have I ever thought that Encanto is... I'll put it this way. I never put Encanto above either Turning Red or Luca. To me, it was always Luca, Turning Red, and Encanto. That mm-hmm. does not mean that I think Encanto is inferior. I I, I feel like it is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes, like we say, sometimes things connect and sometimes they don't. And you can't, oh, yeah. and you can't really point to a reason why. You just, mm-hmm. it's just more of what you feel, right? Yeah, you feel it, and for whatever reason, I just didn't feel it. That mm-hmm. being said, I want to remind everybody before I get all these like knives thrown at me. I love the movie, and yeah, I yeah. own it. No, no, I get you. Like for me, the in terms of handling the grandmother thing. Encanto is better. I just connected more with the generational trauma of it all. <laughs> also, I mean, there's so, a, there's a Hispanic element in, at play there too. Yeah, I mean, you can't really ignore that. You know, that that's a big mm-hmm. part of it too. Yeah. Uh, and before people, you know, um, misrepresent certain things, I also happen to be Hispanic, and I want to clarify that because a lot of people evidently do not know that. And I just mean generally the people who I interact with. I literally am asked all the time, "You speak Spanish?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean I, I do I speak Spanish? Just because I don't like to talk in Spanish does not mean I don't understand the language and I don't understand whatever conniving thing or disrespectful or insulting thing you're saying under your breath. Like I get it all. Sorry, I was in a tangent a little bit. I just mm-hmm. I feel like um I in, in my in my classes and then in my occupation, I I'm working it feels like I'm going to therapy a lot cuz we're we're forced to do reflections for our assignments and we have to literally reflect on everything and how we, you know, were raised and I it, it, it turns out these last few weeks I realized something about myself that I didn't know in that when I grew up in the education system, um we were so discouraged to utilize spanish in our education we were so excluded like our culture was not invited to be in existence in our school environment that it had a real psychological effect on me where i began disassociating from that culture and began assimilating which is what the point of these things were into the american culture and it had such a deep effect on me that um for many years uh, in middle school, up until early high school, I lost a lot of my original language. My first language is not the one that I'm speaking with right now. And people would be mm-hmm. surprised to hear that. Um, I, no, yeah. I know a lot of people always tell me, you're a very, very well-spoken person. I am. But this is not my first language. 
but this is mm-hmm. my adoptive language. This is the language that I c- connect with the most. And, you know, part of me hates the fact that that's how things ended up being because it has kept me from connecting as much with so much of my family because of that. Because And not that I can't communicate with them, I can, but the thing is, I don't connect with that language. There is so much of the slang and there's so much of the of uh, of the there's so many words and vocabulary and things that are phrases that I, I just don't click with um, that prevents me from really carrying like these really long, like the conversations that I have on this show and with people on a weekly basis, I just would not be able to have. I don't know as many words in that language as I, as I do in this one. And it, it just made me realize like it, it, the environment that I grew up with at school made me feel embarrassed to be Mexican so mm. much so that I just kind of like began to, dis- and then because the, the, my family was making me feel embarrassed that I didn't know Spanish, I had to relearn it all over again. And so it was like yeah. every which way I was like, there so, and this was brought up because of, um, my studies and our classroom discussions. And then also with um, the fact that literally, I don't know what it is about my complexion. It may have to do with the fact that I have a vitamin D deficiency (laughs) and I've had it for many, many years so much so that I literally have to take vitamin D every day. I have like a, like gummies back there that I order from Amazon, which I recommend by the way, they're very good, but I have to take those because I have a vitamin D deficiency. I guess maybe I just, I look so pale that people Mm. just, I'm so used to just getting that kind of response because of that. And I, I know that we, I, that was a really random tangent based on what we were saying, but I wanted to clarify that because it happens often that um, there was even a moment in, in Washington, D.C. There was this person who was literally about to chew me out for making a, a Donald Trump, like uh, build the wall joke um, because she thought it was white. And I had to, like, I had, I had, to, I had to tell her in the moment, like, um, I am Mexican. <laughs> and, and, and then, and then I, at that point, she was like, "Oh, okay." She backed off immediately, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's funny." And I think it's I, Holy shit! I think it's because I, I just, I sound, I guess, my manner of speaking maybe is makes people think that I'm not that way at all. Mm. The way that I sound, the way that I speak, is not how anyone in my family speaks like where i got this from i don't know i watched a lot of tv i read a lot of different kinds of stories and books i was exposed to different kinds of cultures at school i don't know i also was informed this week or last week that the californians have an accent i didn't know that there was an accent i guess if you talk fast that's a californian accent well i talk fast sometimes Mm. i guess that's one of the accents that i'm referred to um, oh, then also at the same time, in the same space, in the same year in, in Washington, D.C., uh, I was literally called the beaner by a homeless man. Uh, so, like, which is it? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what, what's going on here? Like, it, it, I had, I've had some really interesting experiences in my life, David, I'll tell you that. Um, but uh, I don't even know why I, well, I, I brought this up mm-hmm. because I was bothered by the idea that people might, like, think that I'm not, even though if you see... The, the the show notes, my last name is Soto. Mm-hmm. That's a... And your name is Moreno. Um, yeah. Francisco. 
Um, like, <laughs> I mean, like these are very like David. I mean, literally David Francisco. Mon- I mean, that, that's literally like that. How you like that? That's a Spanish name. Like, yeah. I, 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 I want to clarify that because people evidently just can't tell by looking at me. Mm-hmm. But then again, it just depends. I guess some people can't tell, and some people can tell right away. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just depends what. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, no, I, honestly, I get you with the whole like losing, relearning how to talk Spanish and all. Because me, I Spanish is also my first language and all. Then when I moved to uh, Tatooine, most <laughs> uh, most Iceland, most Iceland, which sorry. isn't Tatooine, yeah. but it's uh, yeah. yeah, specifically um, most because. Look, there are nicer parts of Tatooine, believe it or not. We're, we were not mm-hmm. the part, the nicer part of Tatooine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, and so I moved there in this, around kindergarten. Like, yeah. That was for school year. My sister was like in second grade or something. And so for her, I don't know, maybe just because she knew Spanish longer than me, she still knows the language and, you know, every once in a while brings out Spanish words. But with me, it's just straight up English. Like, oh, yeah. I just completely lost it. And, like, mm-hmm. I can't really, like, I, you know, it's so weird. Like, in my mind, I do think of Spanish words and all that, but I can never say them out loud. So, like, mm. I don't know. It's just so weird. But. And I'm sure you don't <laughs> feel comfortable saying it out loud because you don't want to be judged for that. Like, you just don't, maybe you know, but you also wouldn't want to be pulled up in front of a crowd and and, and, and command their attention mm-hmm. and say something that's just, like, wrong. Yeah, and then be laughed at and be made fun of. No, but like, it just sounds like weird to me, like almost talking Spanish in a sense. I know, I know, I know. Me too. I like mm. there's just just like some words that I just like. They make me like, who thought of that word? It just I don't want to sound like you know like I'm making fun of language. I'm not I'm just, but mm-hmm. there's just some words that it throws me off. And like, who thought of that word? Like, why was that? Like, like the word chilo. Mm. Like, really, really, like that. That I find that word kind to be kind mm-hmm. of like. Also, really? that's what you, okay. are the words that you forget that it's like so obvious like i keep forgetting the word the spanish word for spoon every once in a while so every time like mm-hmm. i don't know why it's just like i'm always have to be like oh my god what's this so f-? like i know tenedor <laughs> i know cuchillo cuchillo but like spoon cuchara Cu- cuchara yeah <laughs> cuchara Cu- cuchara cuchara but yeah, yeah. yeah i don't know why i just always forget and it's so funny too actually <laughs> but like i picked up the English language like pretty easily too because I remember when, when yeah. I did first move uh, you can tell by this podcast I'm a very quiet person and so during school I would talk a lot either and then once a, one summer actually my mom would make me read a book and actually like write just copy what the book was saying because she thought that was like the best way to kind of like get learn English and then one day she goes up to me and so she, she says in English David, can you understand what I'm saying? And I go, yeah. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so they thought like I was kind of like slow taking the English language, but it's like no, I got it, I got it right away. And I just completely forgot the Spanish language. So um, it's it's weird, like just how fast that worked, I guess. Yeah. No, it's interesting too um, how uh, things work out sometimes. I know you just mentioned that you know, yes, in podcast you, you do. You're the kind of person that that would rather listen to other people talk than engage in, in discussion yourself. And I think there, you know, on this podcast for as long as you've been on it, there have been long stretches where you don't say much of anything. But that all changes when you are called to speak, especially like the differences between when you first 
were doing this show to where you are right now, you're a completely different person in terms of how you present yourself and how you speak. You are a very articulate person now uh, in a way that I don't think you were. Like, to be honest with you, I do not recall our first interaction with each other. And it may just be because I'm not sure you even spoke. <laughs> you, may you may have been just like a, you know, like a, yeah, I acknowledge that you're there, but I, I, I don't remember honestly mm-hmm. um, when our first meeting was and everything. Um, but over the years, uh, that clearly has changed. And I think you have become a person that can very clearly and eloquently express what you're feeling and how, and, and explain why it is that you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um and I think um, it's because you do the show. I think yeah. we're, we're, we're going to take credit <laughs> for for this for this just uh, and and you being able to to and then also just the fact that we 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 have. I feel like yeah, this show is mainly just about and even saying just about I me. Mean, it, it, the stories that we follow with with uh, movies and TV, but in that why we love them so much is because they really aren't in many ways our window into other realities and into the world itself mm-hmm. i mean in poor things there's this line um toward the end of the film and they say to the main character when we begin to know the world we begin to know ourselves and our place within it mm-hmm. um and i think like because uh we don't necessarily have the luxury to always like travel the world and everything like the best way for us to know the world is literally the best escapist form of media which are movies mm-hmm. we get to live uh somebody else's life and, and mm-hmm. live with them and, and so i think they're so great mm-hmm. also um yeah uh, did we have anything to say else uh, oh i'm sorry i'm cutting oh. you off go ahead please. no it's fine uh, i mean just to add on like why i think i kind of improved yes it was doing this podcast like, you know, I keep having to tell myself, like, okay, I got to, like, add more to, like, <laughs> the conversation <laughs> other than just, like, <laughs> yeah, I agree, you know, that, like, you know, right. so. Yeah. You host now. That's the, yeah. one of the things, like, you host <laughs> several podcasts now. You're doing. Uh, Quest Center and Turn to Page. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, do uh, um, gameplays. That one. That one I'm still working on. That one's actually very difficult. I mean, just mm. playing and trying to talk at the same time, it's very difficult. So, but when I do talk, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, like, it's cool that I can give my thoughts. <laughs> uh, but, but also, like, it is also listening to the people, um, that I think help me improve. At least, like, I, I mentioned this before, like, whenever I listen to people who, like, dislike a movie that I like, I'm always, I'm not really like, like, no, they're wrong. This is why it's good. It's like, Okay, you you didn't like this particular scene because of this. Why did I, why did I like it? Like, what was it about it that I liked? And then I give those thoughts into this podcast where I go, "This is why I really liked it," <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And so that really does help a lot. Does help to just listen, pay attention to what people say, <laughs> and again, don't go about it being like, "No, you're wrong," or you know, "I'm right, you're wrong," blah blah blah. It's like, and I'm right because of this. It's like, no, just like. Just give your freaking thoughts, <laughs> people. Like, like, why is it that you like certain movies? Why is it that you dislike it? And yeah. pay attention as to why. Because it can say a lot about you. You know what has me um, moving a little bit away from Turning Red? It has me 
ooh, worried a little bit. Next month, I think it is next month because it is next month, right? When Luca comes out. Yeah, I think each movie, this one, Turning Red, Luca, and Soul, are just gonna come out month to month, basically. Yeah. So it worries me because I don't know if I'm gonna be able to keep it together uh, mm. for that one because uh, that one is one of my favorite films ever because um, if nothing else, because so much of the main character, like I don't think I've ever have been reminded about how I was as a child than that character. Mm. I, I don't think I've ever felt so seen and so represented. That's why I tell you when you see stories that remind you of you and your experiences, that fucking matters. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember back in 2021, I mean, people can't see this, but right in front of my, my thing here on my desk, like there are, there's a lot of Luca stuff. Like I literally have like right in, like on top of like here, I have, I have the Blu-ray, right. Mm -hmm. That came out, um, right, uh, in front of me, I have the, um, lovely art book that you guys got for me. Uh, which is still, I think, my favorite gift ever that I've gotten. Because <laughs> uh, it's such beautiful, beautiful... Um, I mean, I don't even know why I'm talking about it when I can just show you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, show you. I mean, you've seen it. You've you yeah. got it for me. But, like, it's still, like, to me, one of my most treasured, like, things I've ever received. Um, I mean, look at this. Yeah. I, I mean, and I think, like, what also kind of, like, I know some people would feel like, well, it's rather predictable, right? If people know what your favorites are. No, that that, that means how that, that they know you. Mm -hmm. They they know you really well. I don't ever recall in 2021 saying at the top of my lungs that this was my favorite movie of the year, but somehow everybody knew. <laughs> uh you just you did. Like literally everybody like uh had that. Um and man, this was such, oh God, I love it so much. It's so much in here that I could just show you. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't stop there. <laughs> I also, I can't, I can't show this because it's actually like on, on the wall and everything. I have a newspaper article of my first ever written movie review for print. Mm. And it was for this movie. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> it was for this movie. It was for Luca, like literally right in front of me. Hmm. Um, I, I, I can keep going. I mean, I also have these uh, ornaments that I brought that I keep with me. Uh, <laughs> Luca and Alberto right here. So it's That's like, nice. can you tell like I am like a super fan when it comes to this? Like, I mean, literally. Mm -hmm. um, it also, in a way... This film ended up being kind of like a gateway into Studio Ghibli films, Studio Ghibli films. Because at that point in time, when I watched Luca, I've only ever, I only had seen Spirited Away, and that was like many, many years removed from it. But little did I know, two years later, I would venture into the world of Miyazaki and never be the same again. Mm -hmm. There's literally a whole Miyazaki section over here on my, <laughs> on my wall over there. Um, and I'm just like wondering what the hell it's going to be like to watch this 
in the theater because mm-hmm. of turning red was making me this freaking emotional. What is Luca gonna do? Um, just next month. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I low key can't wait, but also just kind of terrified what that's gonna be like. I think I might just be because honestly, like to me, the ending of that film, I'm a wreck. <laughs> Like the the ending moments of the film, particularly when they when they leave each other and and Luca goes elsewhere, like that that was just like, God. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch the short? The I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that great. yeah. Of course, I did. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, that also would be an interesting TV show. Just you know, or maybe a, a series of shorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, whatever have you, but um, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, yeah, man, um, it's just nice to have the conversation we've had here at the end, uh, which serve as a reminder of like why we really loved a lot of Disney in the first place, and. The thing I, I should mention that Luca and Turning Red work so well. Um, I think for a very specific reason. I didn't mention her name, um, and I should have. Forgive me. Um, Domi Shi is the director and writer of Turning Red. Enrique Enrico Casarosa is the writer and director of Luca. So much as to why those movies work is because. <clears throat> Like Boy and the Heron, like the Fablemans, even in Killers of the Flower Moon, even though it's not necessarily about Marty's life, but so much of the themes that have obs- that he has been obsessed with his entire life are in that film, are very much autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Like Enrico and-, and Domi put themselves in those, like those films are literally about their lives. Mm-hmm. Like, so much of who they are are in those lead characters. Yeah, even in the behind the scenes of Turning Red, like yeah. literally pretty much every single female uh, whoever worked any any female who worked in that movie were just kind of like, yeah, I did this <laughs> like when I was her age too. And it just it all works. So Yeah. So I, I feel like um it 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 reminds you that um we should really be looking for strong autoristic voices to lead these films um but i also do strongly believe that luca and turning red specifically i think to me are among the best movies that disney has ever made (laughs) yeah like i think it's kind of crazy to me when i you know a few years ago we were asked um to compile a list of um Favorite Disney films, Disney animation, mm-hmm. specifically the 60, uh, 60 animated films. And I love them, but so few of them, I would say, come up as like my favorite of all time. Now, when I include Pixar, that list is going to change completely because, I mean, Pixar is a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the thing about it. But, like, think with, with me. Um, 
And with like the Walt Disney movies, uh, I gotta be honest with you. I think I even had a hard time coming up with number 10 or 11. Um, and I, and those movies aren't bad at all, but I mean, I just like feel like what are the films that really connect with me and really resonate with me? Um, and David, I hope you, you'll indulge me before we leave today. There was something I wanted to address just because it's been on my mind in regards to what we were just talking about. Um, and I hope it works, even though it kind of wasn't before. Let me turn this off and turn it back on again and see if that'll work better this time. Um, we're getting really close now to um, the quote-unquote end of the year for us, which is the Academy Awards are coming. Um, and when the Academy Awards come, then our usual, our tradition is that then we do our top 10 movies of that particular year. Yeah. Um, and I do, I'm not sure if I've had the pleasure yet to say this on air. I know you already know this yourself, but um, you are going to be on the show with us mm -hmm. this time, no matter what happens. I have not, uh, we have not made final plans as to everybody who is going to be on the cast list, I guess, but I'm hoping to get as many people as possible. Um, and I think I'm very much looking forward to having you there because uh, I could just imagine how much more fun it would be if you were on that show last year because you had some interesting choices. Um, <laughs> as a matter of fact, do you even remember what your list was? Um, I have it, actually. You know, don't, don't even bother. I have it. Let me look for it right here. It's one of my... Oh. In my old notebooks. Like and I, I bring this up because um, as we move on from 2023, I do like to look back a lot. And I want to just take the time to um, look back at 2022 in particular. Not just because, you know, Turning Red came out in 2022, but because I've been thinking a lot about the films of that year and how much they really have, like, resonated and stayed with me. Um, and I think that kind of speaks to the fact that a lot of us had a lot of commonality in that. I have your list right here. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the things that would have made would have been so hilarious is that you, some of it would have been outdated for sure because like you had the Banshees of Sharon <laughs> at one point in your top ten, and then it mm -hmm. was completely eliminated because uh, you wanted to put in Mrs. Harris. And I think um, your list that I have here was. Uh, in order from 10 to 9, so it goes down from 10 to 9, you had Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, The Northman, Top Gun Maverick, Dragon Ball Super Superhero, The Whale, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Batman, The Fablements, and at number one was RRR, which may I just say is an incredible list of films. Um, and you being the only one that found the space for... Mrs. Harris, I think, would have been for a very, very memorable um, mm. piece of uh, of the show for years to come. So because mm. of that and much more, and I think you've also have, um, you've become a much more integral part of this show um, that it's only right for you to join us. Uh, and, and not that we were like excluding anybody in the past, you've namely... But it was the fact that we didn't want the shows to be f over four hours long. And I don't know how we're going to do it this year. But damn it, if it is four hours long, who cares? It's going to be fun. <laughs> uh, this yeah. is the way that it's going to be. Um, and I, uh, But 
why I bring any of this up as well is because I, I've been looking at uh, what I had, and honestly, there are some changes that I would make. Not major, but there's some slight changes that I would make to mine. Uh, I would, I'm curious, looking back at it a whole year later, are there any changes that you would make to yours in terms of the ranking of this list? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I added a few movies. No, I think my top ten will probably stay the same for sure. Even in the same order. Hmm. Yeah, just because, like, I mean, for the top three, RRR was just like a huge surprise of <laughs> like yeah. what that movie was and how just well it blended most of its things because like you literally get a musical number then some action scenes and all that but it like it's never like a it's never like a whiplash moment of like what the fuck <laughs> like when did this happen you know I, I remember the not to not to scene yeah and i'm like you know you had that guy who was like bullying the main character and i'm just like is there gonna be a dance-off or something because like you know certainly enough he's like oh you're not very cultured on you he's doing all these different dance moves and i'm like it's gonna be a fucking musical number here, isn't there? And then, sure enough, uh, yeah, the other guy playing like the drums and everything. I'm like, no fucking way! This is so cool. <laughs> like, and you know, that's kind of like that's sort of a given with that culture of like how that's just how they make their movies and all. But <laughs> it's just so surprising, like how they blended it well, well together. So that's why I love it so much. Fable events, I just really connected <laughs> with that movie there is a lot of similarity similarities <laughs> um that i had with that movie so and then batman it's just so fucking cool <laughs> uh, it is again it's, a, it's sort of like another surprise of like wow this is actually like an incredible story not just like a superhero movie like this is just a really cool story and so it's also just one of the best looking superhero movies that i've seen for sure <laughs> yeah also i think uh Turning red, I had it. I put it on number fourteen. <laughs> of like, wow! So yeah. even even now, you wouldn't move it up. I'm gonna let I mean, I'm, I'm gonna let you give it a, a minute, okay? Because I wanna I'm gonna give you a minute to think about that. Not that I'm pressuring mm-hmm. you to do so, but spoiler alert: I did move it up in mine um, <laughs> after this recent um, rewatch. Um, and it wasn't because I hadn't rewatched the other ones recently. So um, let me just remind people. For me, what I had in order from 10 to 1, Top Gun Maverick, Glass Onion, Nope, The Batman, Turning Red, Pinocchio, Avatar, Banshees, Everything Everywhere, and then Fablements. I think there are three changes that I made uh, a year later to the list. Number one, Tar. Uh, no, mm. no, it's not number one. Number one, the first change I made is Tar is now on my number 10. Because uh, it was mm. not on the list at all. So this is like adding yeah. this on. Um, what I had here originally <coughs> was Top Gun. And unfortunately, I had to pull a Banshees and kick it out of my top 10. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Even though it's like Top Top Gun is an incredible film. But also, mm. Tar is easily one of the most memorable pieces of cinema. Uh, that has kind of like refused to leave. You haven't seen that yet, have you? No, no, no. This, this is an incredible film. It's all, it's wholly just like immersive and you're not really sure which way it's going to go. Um, has so much to say. It was one of Martin Scorsese's favorite films of 2022. If that means anything. 
Um, the only other person, I think they even watched it and therefore he put it on his list was Peter. He put it as his number two, uh, Mm. for last year. So, uh, I'm happily, I'm hoping this will balance the scales and maybe him not being as angry as you (laughs) for putting Harris and kicking out Banshees. Cause, uh, now we got a second person, uh, that put in tar. Um, Mm -hmm. I would keep. Glass Onion in the same place uh, at number nine. Um, hold on a minute. Mm. What am I doing? <laughs> well, okay. Um, okay, I'm gonna. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why this is. This this should be switched. Um, mm. There's no change here. Um, I put nope at eight. It doesn't want okay. So nope at eight. Mm-hmm. Um and then the Batman at seven. Like that's unchanged. Um and then originally I had turning red at six. That's no longer the case. I have mm-hmm. I, I got it and this is this is the thing. Um I love that yeah. That poking up. Pinocchio poster is just so fucking good. <laughs> Dude. It's, I mean, look d- at it. Look at Incredible detail. Oh my god. Um The film means the world to me. Um mm-hmm. and it holds up. However, um and I had recently seen it again because I got the Blu-ray, the 4K <sighs> Blu-ray. Oh my god, it looked amazing. Um, I do think though, um, I think turning red edges it out now. I, I'm, I'm going to say it and I moved turning red up as a matter of fact, um, to where we're talking about it now. So now I got turning red at number five, uh, for me. So that's where the change was. Um, everything else mostly the same. Uh, the way of water is at number four. That that's where it was. Um, and then this is a big change. This right here, I believe, I put it at number two. I did. Hmm. Now it's number three. And the only reason is that the change is because of one simple thing. I don't think about this movie nearly as much as I do this one. Mm-hmm. That isn't to say this everything everywhere is better than Banches of Inisherin. Um, I just for whatever reason I find myself every now and then just thinking back to the scenery and some of the the, the sequences and and the lines mm-hmm. of dialogue themselves. Uh, yeah. Yes. No, I was gonna. Oh, keep going. Oh. No, 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 no. You go ahead. But I was gonna say, you know, uh, like I said, I had turning red on number fourteen. Um, probably move it up to twelve. Mm-hmm. And the only thing, also, oh, the things, the movies above it is Prey, Avatar: Way of Water, and Banshees. Mm-hmm. And so I move turning red to uh, to twelve with Banshees being on top, and uh-huh. for the exact same reasons that you're stating right now, that like it's just. Banshees is so stuck on my head. <laughs> yeah, 
it refuses mm-hmm. to leave me that the score as well, the performances. And in fact, in my fantasy, for as much as Brendan Fraser, uh, I was happy that he won. How beautiful would it have worked out if Colin Farrell ended up winning Best Actor? For sure. <laughs> you know, just thinking about that as well. Um, and then number one, Unchanged. Uh, yeah. That's pretty <laughs> That's pretty obvious. Um, and I feel like we've we've gone over repeatedly as to like why that was. Um, the one thing I'm, I am a little just like, I shouldn't be a little bit embarrassed about it. I really had a hard time last year. Just like, what do I do on this list? Do I put Fablemans or do I put everything everywhere? And I think Kyle, oddly enough, was the person that just like, well, Alexis, don't don't make the same mistake I did back in 2017 when I was like trying to convince myself that Logan was my favorite just because I thought that that was the best. And I think he was correct. Like when we do these lists and when you do your personal list, don't start with what do you think is objectively the best? There's no such thing as objectivity. You're 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 fooling yourself into thinking that's what it is. But when you're in, you're 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 just like going based off of what most people think is the best, and that's not what you should do. You should go with what what is the thing that connected with you the most. And by the way, mm-hmm. I had watched over a hundred movies that year, 2022. Any uh, any film that comes in the top ten, that's fucking incredible. So all of these films did that for me. Um, mm-hmm. and ranking films is silly. Ultimately, I mean, I just, I, I, I'm much more into talking about them and how they're all great in different ways, which they are. Um, but at the end of the day, I realized in the, in the following year that Banshees just refused to leave me and Fableman's was like, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a darling for me, honestly. Uh, so much of who I am and so much of what I love is in that movie itself. <laughs> Again. Um, and of course it happens to be made by my favorite director and it happens to be that my favorite director has so much in common with me, not in the talent. Don't think I'm calling myself a talent like he is. I'm just like in in terms of like sensibilities as a person and similar childhoods as well. Um, not with the divorce, but with like the, the features and the characteristics of who he was as a child. So, um, yeah, um, I will say though, I've been seeing a lot, David. Um, this movie right here, Failments, we talked about it before. It mm-hmm. wasn't seen by very many people when it came out. Mm-hmm. In the in the years since, more people have seen it, and I've seen the reaction on Twitter. People are loving it. Yeah, people That's are good. loving it, and people are like. Why didn't Spielberg win Best Director? <laughs> didn't I say it? Didn't I say it? Last year, I wanted to clap somebody, honestly, when they suggested that maybe Spielberg should have won for Lincoln. You think? I was there, bitch. I was there <laughs> 10, over 10 years ago saying, yeah, that should have happened. But did anybody listen to me? Of course not. Anyway, uh, I'm always happy to see when things that I like that I think are not necessarily treated as well get a revision. Um, get time in the in the sun again similarly i've been noticing for whatever strange reason um 
this beauty right here <laughs> get uh some of those posts too this this movie eternals is one of the most loathed and despised blockbuster films that came out in the last 10 years and yet for whatever reason a lot of us here ended up like we vibed with it it was pretty cool yeah um it just i don't and i gotta tell you like This movie is one of those things where it's like, it's technically not a great film in the sense, like, obviously, how obvious others like Dune or Avatar or Spider-Verse are. Like, those are just technically and obviously great, and you can't really argue against it. There are things in here that you can argue why it's not great and maybe and why it's not even good. But for whatever reason, this is why I say sometimes things connect and sometimes this don't, they, they, they don't. Mm-hmm. And I just remember when I got over a lot of the things that had been set up in my mind based on what I was reading. And when I got over watching the film the first time and not being very interested, and I went back and saw it a few more times. And I let go of those preconceived notions for whatever reason. The film just took hold of me. It really did. Um, and it's just like I could watch it. And there's just a lot of interesting stuff in it that I think people just willfully overlooked. And in large part, as we said at the time, because people weren't interested in taking another look at it. They were like... We want to talk about how Marvel is bad. So let's use this as an example as why Marvel is bad. Yeah. Even though compared to all the other ones, this is probably like one of the best ones. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a low bar, for sure. Yeah. But like, <clears throat> out of all of them, this is the one that y'all want to be like, mm, I think Marvel's losing it here. It's like, come on. I mean, look, do you remember what else came out this year? From Marvel Studios? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Black Widow. Uh, mm-hmm. Shang-Chi. Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, the thing that was Spider-Man, I won't count that for Marvel. That's sure. Sony. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um. Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to update. Also, by the way, I know that we're already closing off, but I, mm, I've been listening again this week to some scores. Um, I don't know if you've ever sat down and listened to the Fableman's score. Mm. Um, but I have, I'll send you the link, um, that I also downloaded for myself. So I put it on my music library it's like a 30 minute loop of like the music in the film not the <laughs> songs but the orchestral stuff so it's a lot of the the compositions that were utilized and then also some original John Williams stuff it's really really just like i lose myself in it um and then also the boy and the heron score i was i've just been like oh my god this is so good this is so good anywho guys um i think uh we might just end it here. I don't really know what else we can say at this point. 
All I will say is um, I'm very much looking forward to this year's top 10 show. Um, I personally feel, no, I, I can't speak for David, but I personally feel like I'm pretty much done. If anything, I'm only just waiting on one more movie to see for sure. Um, to see if that changes much of anything. But um, I think I'm good on, on, on what it is. But uh, we're right now, the date of this recording, what is it? The 9th of February. We're not going to be doing this until at least a month from now. Maybe mid-March, maybe even late March, depending if we can get all our players um, on there. Um, we might do some things differently where maybe we split up some of the stuff and maybe we... Uh, we uh, do a, a preliminary thing where we talk about worst of the year because that even though but that that's going to be such a short conversation because I mean we, I didn't see too much crap this year, mm. uh so even that doesn't deserve its own podcast, um, but that's where we're at right now. Um, we have not been covering any of the new movies lately, uh, because they've all been crap. So we're just not, or they just have not been good or. Um, there are better things to see. Hmm. Um, I mean, I watched Turning Red today in, instead of everything else. I was like, okay, well, that's how we are. Um, but March will also be a big month because Dune 2 comes out. I mean, I just, are you kidding me here? I just saw, I have a theater near me. They're going to show it in 70 millimeter. So I'm going to try to watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And also mean that I gotta try to read the book before the movie comes out. Wait, you watched it already? No, no, no. I want like I'm gonna hopefully watch it in the theater. Oh, Dune Part Two. Yeah, Dune Part Two. I'm gonna hopefully watch it, but it's gonna show in 70 millimeter, which I don't think I've ever even seen a movie like that. I didn't even say this also, but um, I had the pleasure of rewatching Oppenheimer this past weekend. That movie is incredible. Mm. <laughs> I mean, we all really, really liked it when it came out. That being said, we've also been on the record saying that we prefer a certain other film to it. That being said as well, wow. Yeah. That movie really works on rewatch. It's very, very rewatchable. What I did was I watched um, a reaction to the movie, which made me just watch the movie yeah. the next day. <laughs> It's such a good film. Mm-hmm. So I understand, like, well, it's pretty undeniable um, why it's the front runner. Yeah. Um, and why ultimately we'll win. Because it's just like, there's just so many moments. Like, the idea that you just feel so tense for three hours. It's a really an accomplished piece of filmmaking. Um I think to me, though, what makes it really hard this year than any other years is I can think of at least five movies that came out in 2023 that in any other year would be number one. <laughs> it's... And the, and most of them, except for one, are not going to be number one. They're going to be two, three, or four, or five. And it's just like, what? It's crazy. Yeah. So, oh, well, wait a minute. We have, Luca is also coming out in March, too. So that's, that's, that's something to look forward to as well. So, yeah, March may be a big month for us, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, at the end of the month, uh, The Bad Batch uh, comes back for its third and final season. 
Um, we haven't really decided what we're going to be doing about that reaction-wise, but even if we don't provide reactions, we will have reviews. Mm -hmm. um, and I certainly am amped up for it. Um, so stay tuned here, guys, for uh, all that content and more so. Uh, our, you can catch our podcasts every single Sunday anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you, David, so much for being here and for all you do. Um, and we will see you all next time, guys. Bye. Bye.